0: Welcome to the next installment of the Farzad Misvalu podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. He is a man- managing partner at Good Soil Investment Management, a counterpart to Emmett Peppers. Mr. Matt Smith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Farzad. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Happy to have you here. Yeah, I, I, we were just talking about um, how in one of the live streams there was a banging noises going on in the background that you had going on. So if you guys hear any banging noises in the background, no one, everything's fine. There's just some construction on Matt's head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get as far away in the house as possible from that. So hopefully it shouldn't be an issue right now, but um, I'm camped out in my, my girl's bedroom right now. So hopefully it's not too bad. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so uh, do you have kids? Uh, yeah, I've got five yeah. kids, and and actually number six is on the way, due in a month. So,
0: oh I'm man, uh, congratulations! That's awesome. My, my hairline, which well. is already
1: in retreat, will be uh,
0: accelerating that retreat, I imagine, in the <laughs> in the coming months. They're that is awesome. That is awesome, man. Six kids. Wow. What what what's the um? Th- that's got to be like. What's the most challenging part about having you know five kids and I guess six very soon? But like, are there any sort of challenges that are that are part of having uh, that many children that a lot of people don't understand. And, and on the other side too, what are the biggest joys on, on the other side as well? I'm really curious to hear because my wife and I have been talking about having kids at some point, but I always, I'm always picking the brains of folks that have kids. I'm, I'm really curious to hear.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think especially when they're young, it's like a very physically demanding, um you know, kind of job to, to be a sure. parent. So, you know, my my oldest of the five we have right now turns ten this month. So, like, they're, they're all, you know, it's you know, soon to be ten, uh, then eight, six, three, and one, um yeah. and we'll have an- another newborn. So, pretty much for the last yeah. decade, my wife and I have been, you know, just sleep deprived, like just like working dawn to dusk and and you know it's all the little things like you know potty training everyone always there's always somebody in diapers there's like you're making everybody's meals all the time so it's it's incredibly like physically demanding and just from a time perspective like there, there's not much left for you at the end of the day Um, but at the same time like watching their relationships develop with each other and, and with us is like it, it, it i can't even put into words how kind of rewarding it is to just see them develop over time and see their kind of skills and their interests develop and what they gravitate towards. So I'm sure that'll only kind of accelerate as they they get closer to adulthood, but it's been a
0: an absolute joy, but an exhausting joy <laughs> for sure. sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. One of my favorite things is uh, we have a, a couple friends who um, they have a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and we've been watching them grow up since, since they, since they have them. And it's, it's like that, that thing that you mentioned about just watching them sort of grow into their own personalities and their own people. I, it's something that I, I didn't expect to enjoy watching so much, especially as like, a, as, a, as like, a, I'm not even their dad. I'm just their, you know, their dad's friend, yeah. but I'm like watching them grow and watching them develop a personality is so fascinating. Cause you look at, you think about people, it's like, that's, People are just little people that have grown into bigger people and like those things that they're <laughs> learning, you know, I just yeah. found it so fascinating. It's so cool.
1: Yeah, and they change over time, but it's it's so fun. Like yeah. my daughter, um, my oldest just got into like piano like a year ago and now she's started composing her own pieces. She just like of her own volition just started Wanting to make her own music, and it's it's actually like pretty decent. So it's it's just crazy to see the the kind of you know skill sets that they have and what they're interested in, because it's it's wildly different from what I'm interested in, and even what their siblings are interested in. So it's it's
0: just fun to watch that happen that's awesome that is awesome yeah music is is one of those things that i hear is like great to have earlier on and and like um it's it's i don't know if there's like scientific studies behind it or whatever but do, do either you or your wife play any instruments or is it just uh the one kid that's that's picked it up uh, i have zero musical ability whatsoever i okay. played like cello <laughs> in middle school but
1: like my, my my teacher actually told me when we'd have competitions like just hold the bow a little above the string so they don't have to hear you so it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of how i was my wife's a lot more musically oh, oh inclined. God. she uh she was in like the drum corps and high school she did like a marching band she was the center snare so uh she's nice. she's got a lot of that capability she played piano and everything but um yeah no I, okay i definitely don't have any any skill there i'm much more of a numbers guy than a than a music guy
0: gotcha center center snare is a big deal and in, in marching band i was in marching man that's a that's a legit uh that's a yeah. Legit spot yeah and you know it was mostly guys and you know she's like five
1: foot two five foot three generously um, so like you know she had to, she's tough she, she had to yeah. you know kind of hold her own uh, uh, among you know a bunch of unruly high schoolers who are a lot bigger than her <laughs> that's awesome
0: it. that is awesome shout out to her that's that's great that is great um, so you talked about being much more inclined to you know um, follow numbers that's sort of your your back you know the things that really attract you what what uh, had you end up at uh, good soil and, and partner up with uh, Emmet give us a little bit of a background story.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll um, you know maybe keep it high level and if, if we can kind of open it up if you have a specific qu- uh, area you want to go into but sure. um yeah I had a background in valuation and investment banking I was doing uh, sell side M&A advisory services for like middle market companies looking to sell uh, mm-hmm. so I did that for a couple of years um, and then moved into a corporate role um, was really successful with uh, my Tesla investment, which, you know, kind of led me to be able to have the freedom to to try something else. And uh, so I actually started like a, a YouTube channel, uh, trying to focus on the energy side of, of the, the Tesla business. Um, but around that time, I, I, I had left my job and I just wanted to reach out to him and say, because I, I heard him on one of the Dave Lee interviews, just kind of talking about how when he left his job, it was he had some kind of difficulty trying to find purpose with, with what he did. So I, I kind of realized after I left my job, I had a lot of my kind of like routines and, and even personal identity to, to some extent wrapped up and kind of the idea of being a, a great employee. Um, mm. And so now that that was gone, it was sort of like a bit of an identity crisis. It's probably overblowing, you know, how bad it was. <laughs> it wasn't really bad. It was kind of a good thing. But sure. um, just with having, you know, huge amounts of of freedom and not knowing how best to use my time, And I thought Emmett had kind of navigated that. So I just wanted to reach out to him on a personal level just to kind of hear, you know, how he navigated that. And, you know, through that conversation, he was telling me a lot about the the kind of mission of Good Soil, which really resonated with me. And he just asked, like, you know, do you want to try doing like a kind of informal working for the company sort of thing? So Mm -hmm. I tried it out. Seemed like a really good fit. You know, he and I, our our personalities just really kind of meshed and I, I think also kind of our our skill sets really meshed and he's got a lot of great background on like hedge fund. You know, he, he was working in customer service for uh hedge funds when he was at interactive brokers for a while. So he knew a lot about that industry and kind of uh, which ones failed and which ones didn't. Um, and I had a lot of the kind of technical financial background that, that Emma didn't have. So uh, yeah. really our, our skill sets and our personalities just really kind of gelled and, and um, probably uh, the overriding purpose of, of good soil just as a way of kind of promoting capitalism, but also, you know,
0: altruistic capitalism really resonated with me as well. That's awesome. So did you know Emmett for a little while before before you guys synced up?
1: No, no. Um, you know, I think we both knew of each other, just you know, within the Tesla Twitter community. Oh wow. Uh, okay. Know, people are kind of familiar with who each other are, but no, we'd never actually interacted. And I just, wow. you know, reached out just to have a phone call. And yeah, on the phone call we just kind of hit it off and he just yeah. asked if I'd you know, consider trying it out. Cause I guess he was looking for some help at that time. He was getting a little overwhelmed with, with all the different aspects of the fund. And so, sure, yeah. yeah, it was not at all looking for another job. He wasn't really necessarily looking to, to, you know, bring somebody else on board, but it's just sure. one of those things that happened to work out. Um, that's so yeah, I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah the- I never thought I'd, I, I, I would end up working for a, for a hedge fund. Um, so it's just,
0: <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny the, the way uh, life unfolds sometimes. Man, and, and this is all because you guys were just you were just synced up through the Twitterverse. Uh, it was it specifically the Tesla community that you guys were connected, or was it something else that connected you on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I um I wasn't even aware of them until probably,
1: I like I don't know October November of 2020, 2020 when he started doing those those Dave Lee interviews. Wow, um, about like the S and P five hundred inclusion play. Yeah, so I was like, oh wow, that's that's like a, a pretty interesting story, and and I believed in the same thing. I'd actually made a similar kind of options play before I'd heard those um, uh-huh. interviews with Dave Lee. So that was just kind of funny that we were so you know synced up just in in our investment philosophy as well as kind of like overall life philosophy. Yeah, um, but no, like we we'd had no interaction. Um, I think like I I'd, I'd seen some of his stuff. He'd seen some of my tweets and stuff. But no,
0: we Man. were not hooked up at all. That's so crazy. It's so crazy how the world works sometimes. And and what what really resonates with your story is is sort of like, so you described how, you know, you you had an investment in Tesla, which allowed you to, you know, become more independent financially to kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, but it sounds like you you had an investment in Tesla, which allowed you to really carve your own path, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then you felt a little sort of, uh, you know, where I draw the parallel is like I feel like I'm in the lost stage right now because that's sort of my mm-hmm. a little bit of my stories I you know I worked at Tesla I had a I had a sizable investment in Tesla since uh really 2013 2014 is really when it really started to get larger and uh you know a few months ago I I I left Tesla because you know I I was there for 4 years and I and I really enjoyed my time there but I'm like okay there's you know I have some financial independence now and I feel like I I, I need to figure out how to bring a bigger impact to the world but I'm just like like bumbling around you know I, I created this youtube channel which i really really enjoy and in my my guiding principle is do something for as long as it feels fun you know and this mm-hmm. this really feels fun and it's platform where i get to speak with people like you and and other folks that i, I try to gain inspiration from you know so what kind of advice can you give me um because it sounds like you, you're you're at least exploring to see where where your path goes and it seems like you're having fun doing it so what what advice can you give me to figure out, or, or you know, what kind of over over uh, overarching principles can you share with me that helped you with with the journey you're on right now?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it sounds a lot like uh, you're kind of at the spot where where I was um, like a year ago. You know, just yeah. trying out a new thing, and and I loved it at first when I started my my YouTube channel. Sure. Um, but you know, after a couple months, I kind of I realized I, I didn't really want to be doing that full time. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't enjoying the, the <laughs> this might be a little bit too specific, but I was like, I did a lot of scripted stuff. So I wanted things like highly kind of, I was doing mm-hmm. very detailed, like energy analysis, trying to really educate people on like the nuances of that, of the energy market. Cause I, I got the impression a lot of um, Tesla investors just didn't have that kind of background. Couldn't really think through what the opportunity was on the energy side. So I wanted to say, sure. okay, I've got some experience in there. Maybe I can help fill that gap. Um And I really liked doing that at first, but then I was just, you know, lost the passion for it pretty quickly. And it's like, okay, I, I feel like I'm not being called to, you know, do like a YouTube educational kind of channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, at the same time, I was, you know, excelling like covered calls and, you know, had had more money than I ever kind of thought that, uh, that I would have. And it was like, okay, well, the, the point of, I've, I've known enough wealthy people to know, like, you know, if you get to a certain point you're not going to get way more satisfaction out of your life by getting, you know, five, 10 X higher than that. So like the, the goal of, of life can't be just to kind of keep continue trying to add zeros to, to your bank balance. Cause that's, that's yeah. not going to end in, in like a fulfilled life. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're, 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 you know, on, on the the path. I mean, you're, you're doing what you want to do. You're trying to find ways to have, um you know a bigger impact in, in society and, and trying to lift things up for the positive and i i mean that's always going to be a, a bit of a winding road i think you know um yeah. but I, I think focusing on on
0: that and and you know less on like you know the money I, I, is probably the right way to go got it i appreciate that and, and the comment you made where you know life shouldn't be just about adding zeros you know that i mm-hmm. man, that is I really connected with that after after we gained that financial independence and we're like, okay, so like, like, okay, the money part, you know, what, what's really interesting is I feel like that that saying gets said so much like, you know, money isn't everything, you know, money isn't life, there's so much more to life than money. But I feel like, you know, because sort of my background is I, I grew up, you know, my, my you know we, we had a definitely a good childhood with my parents but it wasn't you know the, it wasn't a, a a thing where it was like we were wealthy right we had to fight for everything you know we had to get everything and so we had remember i had memories as a kid it's like man i really wish I, I had money to do this man i really wish i had money to do this right as, as i was growing up mm. teenager and and sort of into my adult year so money was a was a big part of my thought process but you know And there was a point in my life where I'm like, Oh, my God, it's so you know, it's so fun having money, I can go to nice hotels, I can go to nice vacations, I can buy nice things, right. But then once once, you know, thank, you know, the heavens and the universe for sort of giving me this gift of actually reaching financial independence. And I'm like, holy crap, okay, so it's not it really isn't about the money, because it feels hollow a lot of the times when you're trying to, you know, fill that happiness void with money. But I feel like it's, it's hard to understand that and and this might sound a little insane but it's hard to understand that unless you have it unless you have the money you know because it's like saying it i feel like doesn't have the same impact do you what do you think about that thought process? Am I thinking about that incorrectly? I'm curious to pick your brain on that a little yeah.
1: bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a first world problem. So it's almost embarrassing yeah, right? to even talk about it. I know I'm like uh, awkward, like but, saying it, but it's, I feel like it's a thing, it's, you know? Yeah, it's true. Like, like, honestly, I think my anxiety level went up once I kind of got to a certain level of wealth, cause it was like, I don't know what to do anymore. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I really, um, like I was saying before, like, um, just I was getting a lot of fulfillment out of, you know, being the best employee and the best dad and like the best, um, you know, it, and my life was very kind of structured around, all right, you, you go to work and then you come home and you like be the, be present and all that. And mm. when all of a sudden your day is, is, is up to you, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, figure out what to focus on. And and if you focus on something and it's like, okay, well, the, the results are, are probably less tangible than they used to be when you, you know, we doing an actual job and you got things accomplished, you know, every single day that, you know, you knew were were valuable to the company. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's a real thing. And, you know, as a, as an investor, like, like, of course I'm not against getting more money and and kind of increasing wealth. That's, that's the goal. Um, but I think the, the, um, the intellectual challenge of it is is what I've realized that I like more than necessarily kind of adding a, a zero to to the bank account. So um, I, I love investing, but it's not because you know money is is kind of the, the center of my life. So I mean, it's it's like you, you just need balance. I mean, family is obviously incredibly important you need, you know, a certain amount of money just to just to get by and, and survive. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and trying to increase that for, you know, for great reasons, you know, to to kind of lift up others in society is, is absolutely, a, a you know, a pursuit worth worth choosing. Uh, and then if you can do other things along the way, like, you know, trying to increase education in the community with, with what you're doing in your channel. Emmett and I try to do this with, with our channel as well, just kind of, open sourcing our investment thesis and our, our thoughts on, on kind of current market macro markets and individual investments, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's uh, something that we think is a, is a net positive for society. So, um, you know, it's just, I think it's, it's trying to strike that balance and in, in trying to, you know, live your life in a way that you're, you're not focusing only on, you know, one aspect of life. Cause, cause that, that'll always be hollow. If you only focused on family, you'd be missing something else. If you only focused
0: on, you know, investing, you'd be, you'd be missing other areas. So. Gotcha. That's what but I am saying. I really appreciate that insight. And on the topic of balance, is that something that that comes that came naturally to you to try and figure out how to strike that balance, or was it something that you had to learn? Is it something you're still learning? Because if I talk about myself, I suck at balance so bad, <laughs> and my wife always gives me so much correct g- grief, you know, it's like, why aren't you more present? Cause I do like literally my brain's like, I just, I have yeah. a tough time sort of bringing that balance and being present and everything. And I feel like if my wife hears this, she's gonna be like, thank God she's talking to somebody. I mean, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm curious how, how did that? Um, Cause obviously you, you've you recognized that that's very important, but are you still working at it? Or was it something that naturally came to you? I'm curious to hear about that. <laughs>
1: No, it's um it's it's always been a struggle, honestly. I mean, when I was um doing investment banking back, you know, um when, when I had my, my first kid, um, you know, it it was 80, 90, sometimes hundred-hour work weeks. And, you know, I was I remember like I had this one kind of vivid memory of, you know, my my daughter was just kind of toddling around. And it was like I'd been working all day, I like scarfed down a dinner. And I had to go, I had more work to do. i had, like, I would work till, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, pretty much every night. Yeah. And my daughter just like wanted some daddy time. And I was like, I can't. So like, I just like raced in front of this, you know, little one-year-old toddling towards me, shut the door behind me and like closed it right in her face. And wow. I was like, I have to get this work done. And like, as soon as I did that, it was like a knife in the heart. I was like, okay, I've got to, I got to get out of here. This is, I can't. No matter what amount of, you know, money or like, yeah, I always viewed it as like a stepping stone into other areas of my career where I'd be able to focus on family more in the future. Mm. But that moment for me was one where it's like, okay, your priorities are are not correct and you're you're actually hurting your family, you're hurting your daughter and, you know if you just keep living like this by the time she's, you know, a teenager or something like that, you won't have a relationship with her. And, you know, so that, that for me was, I had that one kind of moment that was like, all right, I've got to, I've got to start looking for a new job right now. Um, But it's been a struggle since then. I mean, I, my, my last job, I kind of had like this, this role where my, my travel was continuously increasing. So I was like, all right, well, it's very hard on my, on my family, you know, obviously five, five kids to be traveling you know, yeah. once a month or twice a month, like I, like I had been. So I was like, all right, that was kind of a, another prompt for, um, finding another, you know, a, a, another role to, to focus on where yeah, I, I could be home more. So, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of bumbling along and I'm not perfect at it. And, you know, even at, at, similar to you, it sounds like the, the kind of emotional presence is, is probably even more important than, than the physical
0: presence in many ways. And that's something I still struggle with for sure. sure. Well, I appreciate, really appreciate your honesty there. really, really shared a personal story there. And like, that's the thing too, is like sometimes I, I, you know, I I don't know how this works, but sometimes I view, and this is just my brain. I view folks that are are working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks, you know, they're like literally working all the time. and, And I know they have families at home and like sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, like, um. I wonder what's going on there because, like, wh- wh- where is the time to do that? And then I, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm no freaking different, you know. Especially when I was uh, at times of working at Tesla, it was like, you know, those 80, 90 hour weeks. When I got home, I'm freaking, I'm exhausted, you know. So I'm like, I talk yeah. to my wife for like four seconds and then I pass out. <laughs> and I, <laughs> right. I wake up and I go to work, you know. So it's like, it's a, it's a, but but at the same time, the double edged sword is like, I feel like the work that I did there also allowed me to now have this freedom. So it's like this weird, like, it's like you know you. And I don't know if it's an investment of time up front to experience pain and then overcoming it. And, you know, or or is there a way to do it a little bit more balanced from the beginning? So it's like, I think about that sometimes too. Like, do you have to go through that time period, you know? Yeah,
1: I I, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I made missteps along the way. But looking back on it, um, I don't think I would trade those experiences, you know, as, sure. as hard as they were um there absolutely is something toward about a kind of overcoming adversity and like i mean i got it was a really tough kind of uh culture that, that i was in as well like my boss is just telling me what an idiot i am all the time and like i remember getting wow. yelled at because i i like i didn't use ariel narrow on on like a chart in one of my excel what? files and like look at this document matt like we are aerial narrow. Like, this is what the big house uses. And no, you're over here, you know, with Times New Roman, like an idiot. Like, you know, it's just one of those sorts. And it sounds so ridiculous in retrospect, but when you get like reamed out like that, I mean, it's kind of like the the culture of of like very top, um, like high-end kitchens as well, where like, you've got this like sort of dictator at the top who's pursuing perfection and he demands perfection out of everyone that works underneath him. And it's an awful environment to work in, but at the same time, those are probably the the two. I, I worked there for two years. Those are uh, probably the two most valuable years years in terms of my kind of professional development of my entire career. Yeah, you know. I'm, so the the amount of stuff that I learned there and kind of the skill sets that I, I use going forward, like I, I wouldn't be here honestly it, w- without that. So um, my wife and I talked at the time, like we, we knew this was not going to be like a forever career when we we jumped into it. Our, sure. our mindset was, you know, let's do this for, you know, maybe five, 10 years or something like that. Work a lot in the beginning of our, of our career so I can be more present, you know, later in our career. And, and that yeah. seemed to make sense. Um, and, and I still think that that's the valuable. If you can, if you can kind of go through some extreme pain like that early on in your career, um, get the skill sets that that you need and then you know, use those to to you know, pivot and do something else in your career. Um obviously every, every case is different. But for me, I, I I thought that
0: was a really kind of valuable way to, to go about it. Right now, I agree with that 100%. It's not but it also sounds like you and your wife sort of aligning on that journey was also instrumental, because I feel like sometimes what happens is folks will just decide if they're in a relationship, they decide to go down that path of like, super hardcore, you know, at the beginning, and then and then we'll get the freedom later, but they but the other person is not aligned and that there's a Mm -hmm. lot of struggles there. So the fact that you two align, I think was so important to, to sort of carving this path. You know, it's almost like you're accepting what's going to come, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of conversations about that. And yeah, I think kind of the, the, she was a CPA, my wife, um, but her real passion, she wanted to kind of stay home and raise the kids and she does homeschooling with them now. Mm -hmm. Um, so we knew, you know, the kind of goal was to be a, a one income family, so we we're reasonable about it, you know. Like we're both coming out of school with entry level jobs. It's like, all right, well, we have to kind of prioritize my career over hers if she really wants to stay home. So that was another kind of tough conversation as well. Like, okay, we, we actually ended up um, having to. She had to um, leave her job that she got to move out to New York City with me uh, to take this job in, in valuation that, that I got right out of school. Yeah, um, it was hard. Like it was. It was. A lot harder economically for us honestly um to to make that move and you know it was tough because she really liked her her job that she had um so it was a huge sacrifice for her to you know leave her family leave her job and and come out to New York City to kind of struggle from the bottom um but because because that was the kind of best job I could get at the time uh we thought that was the right thing to do and and you know and with the, the benefit of retro of, of hindsight you know that definitely
0: was the right move for our family but everybody's gonna be different right yeah that, that's so true yeah sacrifices are are things that are so important in 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 relationships with with the intention well at least you know i've been married uh oh my god how, how long have i been married five years i've known my wife for like All right, now eight. don't show this to your wife yeah, now man. no no this is gonna be out <laughs> it's gonna go like i knew my wife for five years it's gonna be like this weird cut <laughs> oh my goodness yeah no yeah that, that the sacrifices and it's like What's interesting, too, is, is when you view it in, in retrospect, is like, is it really a sacrifice or was it just a, a very calculated move that you both made with the intention of it's like you, you won't know that until you reach your intended stage, you know, so it's like the word even the word sacrifice has a weird connotation to it because it's not really a sacrifice if you're ending up where you are. But it, that's only the case if you end up where you want to be. If you don't end up where you want right. to be, then it's totally a sacrifice. Right. And it, that. Oh, yeah. And end up in the right.
1: In the yeah. Right I mean. We- <laughs> We we really we kind of view ourselves we've definitely viewed ourselves as a, as a team in this journey of life together. It's like yeah. we're we're sticking it out, you know, whatever comes, you know, thick or thin, we're we're together. So let's let's be you know strategic and rational about all of our decisions along the way. And so yeah, there's sure. been some hard decisions along the way that were, you know, painful for one or both of us, but um yeah. we've always felt that okay, if the goal is to have a large family and to be able to, you know, support them financially and to um, you know, advance my, my career so that we could um, handle that, then uh, th- that was kind of the, the guiding, you know, principle um, uh-huh. at, at least for for us with, with our relationship. But it's, uh, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's a, w- when, when you're in the moment, you, you don't know that it's going to work out. Like if I could go back, you know, to my newly graduated from college self and say, Hey, listen, like this move to New York is going to work out. You'll be back in Michigan in like, you know, two years, You know, you'll get some good experience there. Have a corporate job for a while, then you'll, you know, be wealthy enough to to quit that. And you know, like, okay, great. Well, this is the plan. Like, no problem. (laughs) But but when you're going through there, like, the the outcomes are so uncertain. And like, especially like when I was doing investment banking, just getting reamed out all the time. It was a lot of self doubt. Of like, oh gosh, maybe I am just like terrible at finance. Like, maybe I'm really Mm. not good at uh, at at this. And you know, in retrospect, I I I was not good at the beginning of my job, but. you know, getting those skills, those skill sets kind of reamed into you was, it was just the, the best,
0: you know, kind of proving ground to really accelerate my, my development. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. I feel like there's so, there's, there's some, there's certain parallels, I think that you and I have experienced in our lives. Like, I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff, like for a really long time, because I'm really curious to pick your brain on it. And oh, shout out to our wives, by the way, shout out to, our we've talked about them a little bit, shout out to our wives. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but But yeah, man, that's, that's, so you're a cool dude, Matt. (laughs) I wish (laughs) I could (laughs) talk about this stuff like the whole time. Um, I I do want to, I do want to shift gears a little bit though, to, uh, sort of now, now that you've, uh, learned those experiences being in the finance world. And now that you've, you know, all the lessons that we talked about that you've learned now you're in a position where, you know, you're somebody that I, when I go on, on YouTube and I try to gain some insight into the market, I listen to you and Emmett, you know, you guys have, have become, um, folks that I just want to hear your opinion and obviously you know it's a key thing to mention that everybody should always do their own investment advice or their own investment research and everybody should always make their own decisions but obviously you two are are very rational voices so uh, what I want to hear from you is when you're thinking about the overall market and sort of where we're heading what are what are sort of the overarching themes that you see for this year into 2023 uh, that you think are going to dominate um how, where the stock goes, Obviously, the Fed's a big one, but are there any other ones that you've sort of identified that maybe folks aren't talking about too much? I'm curious to hear. So with with Tesla specifically or or kind of the market overall i was I was thinking about the market overall, but let's also yeah. uh, your thoughts about Tesla as well. I would love to hear that as well. Yeah. so
1: I think this this earnings season, well, really, just the the overall macro market for the last you know two months has obviously been just incredibly skittish, and and I, I think uh, w- what's obviously been driving this is you know fear of inflation and uh, the, the impact that um, that could have on Fed action. So you know where a couple months ago people thought you know maybe there'd be you know just three Fed rate hikes or something like that, you know seventy five basis points, and you know you you level out at a, a not too bad kind of. Um, uh, treasury yield. Well, now you, uh, with kind of the, some of the new macro um, data coming out, inflation fears are a lot higher now, which which has obviously led to uh, concerns that that the Fed's going to have to raise rates a lot higher. Um, so that's that obviously drove a huge amount of the the kind of compression in growth stocks that that we saw in January, and, and that had been a risk for a while. But it, it surprised me how quickly that unfolded, though. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, long duration growth names got absolutely hammered. Uh, but what's been interesting about this earnings season, um, to me, is that um, like all boats have have sunk, mm-hmm. right? At least in the kind of tech growth growth names that I'm most interested in, mm-hmm. um, and but but like some of them seem to have been hit with, with good cause, like, you know, uh, Netflix and and Facebook, for example, like they had actually pretty, pretty bad earnings. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at some of the other names out there, you know, Amazon had an amazing quarter, Tesla had an amazing quarter. Uh, and it, it seems like this, um, the kind of underlying fundamentals of some of these companies is, is diverging. So, you know, you used to have like Mm. Fang was like this, like monolith of companies that would like all rise and fall together, but I think those are going to get shaken up a bit. And I think with a lot of the smaller uh, smaller cap names, like a lot of these specs and everything that had crazy valuations, like that was that was very clearly a bubble. But within those, there are some companies that are still legitimate, and there's a lot that are not. Um, so I think one of the themes that I'm trying to you know key in on this year, which, which I think is is true, we'll, we'll we'll see how it pans out. But I think there's going to be a huge dispersion in outcomes between like the legitimate winners who are really poised to actually disrupt in this, this, you know, next decade. Mm -hmm. And those that, you know, don't really have the technological or, you know, you know, business, you know, or financial kind of um, results to, to sort of justify the high tech valuations that we, that we saw across the board. Um, So I, I think, I mean, just, just in following tech as closely as I have, I really do believe that this is going to be a huge disruptive decade. I think a lot of companies in the S and P 500 aren't going to make it, you know, to the year 2030. I think there's a lot of other really smaller names that are going to be, you know, giants by the by the time this decade is over. Um, so I, I, I kind of see this as a, as a setup for, um, you know, who, I, the market trying to identify which ones are actually disruptive, are actually going to make, you know, a, a huge amount of kind of headroom in this this new economy that that I believe is taking shape uh and, and which ones are not so that, that's kind of how i think about it and i, I like to be the, kind of very concentrated in, in with good soil i mean i talk about this a lot too we mm-hmm. like to be kind of highly concentrated and highly exposed in those names that we think are the you know the category of winners who are truly have like a technology or you know business disruption or um, edge that uh will you know help them to kind
0: of like five to ten x this decade gotcha and and uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i'm assuming lemonade is one of those names right I think you guys yeah, talked about yeah yeah it's you know that's a
1: that's a really interesting one because there's like we acknowledge uh there's a decent probability that they won't succeed you know mm-hmm. i think Emmett and i both think in in like probabilistic terms sure. um so you know it, it's a it's a risky position for sure and and obviously it's been hammered this this past year as, as all growth names have, have been um but Lemonade is one where, like, the addressable market is just gigantic. Um, and, and I think the way that they're, they're going about building their, their kind of technology platform, the, the use of AI, um, and the incredibly high customer satisfaction scores that they have are, um, you know, lead me to believe that there's a high, uh, a decent, I should say, probability that they, they can, you know, 10x, 20x from here. So yeah. I, I like that outcome and and especially with with where their price is right now. I mean th- they're trading at less than two times their cash balance. So it seems like there's a, a decent kind of backstop to, to evaluation there. Obviously, they could kind of whittle away cash over the next couple of years and right. you know be bought for, for pennies on the dollar by some competitor if they if they they don't execute. Um, yeah. but if they do, you know, it's like, okay, I like the maybe there's a 25% chance that they You know 10x or you know 20x and and so if you do an expected value of of kind of those outcomes out
0: of like a probability distribution say okay i'll take that bet all day long yeah for sure and like lemonade for me lemonade was a name oh i'm going to preface this i am not a financial expert at all i just like to Buy stocks here and there. So I just want to, for the audience, <laughs> yeah, do not is, listen to anything I say. And Matt as well, although he's an expert, do your own research. Damn it. <laughs> well,
1: it's it, yeah, it, this is not financial advice. Like you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I talk
0: about this stuff openly, but um, right. obviously we're, we're not financial advisors, and this is right. not advice. A hundred percent. But but in the in the case of lemonade, so so the thing that really caught my eye with lemonade was that I think Dave Dave Lee had started making some videos on it, and then he had the CEO of the company on his channel and did an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the one thing that I always look for, for, and this is like, sort of like a gut check. It, it's a, more like an art than a science, but I feel like oftentimes I'd like to think that I'm a decent judge of character when it comes to folks. And obviously I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking to this person in person, but Dave is a surrogate for me. Cause I know I trust Dave's sort of uh, way of thinking and the way he asks questions. And that interaction between him and the CEO was very, like, I was very, um, it really impressed me because it really did come across as a person who's really trying to do the right thing by building a company that's going to help people. Uh, and it's also trying to disrupt the, 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 you know, the area that it's trying to get into, which is insurance. And then, um, just recently I started rereading, uh, the innovators dilemma, which I don't know if it's a book that you've read before, but, uh, it basically talks, Yeah. yeah I, I read it like my, like back in 2013, 2014, when, and it was in yeah. this specifically within the topic of Tesla. Because it was Mm -hmm. sort of connected to that. But I feel like Lemonade, and I'm going to kind of walk you through my thesis and you tell me if I'm if I'm thinking about this incorrectly or, you know, we'll just kind of shoot the shit here and and try to figure out if I'm if if I'm going down the right path. But in the case of Lemonade, so they already have a very small market cap compared to their competitors. I think they're like a two or three billion dollar market cap. Yeah, they're under two right now, I think, actually. And then they're comp- like, they're big competitors, like, you know, like these big insurance companies they are over, they're at or over a hundred billion, I believe. I don't know if that's the case. I, anymore, I think there's but... some in like the, the 50 billion range. Okay. But, um, yeah. Like, like tens of billions to
1: hundreds of billions is like a normal market cap for for these insurers. Yeah.
0: Right. So if I'm thinking about Lemonade's long term growth, I'm thinking, okay, if if Lemonade becomes a legitimate player of insurance, that sort of market cap valuation could be uh, how Lemonade is valued, if they are able to reach a similar scale than these competitors. And then, within the context of the innovators dilemma, one of the things that the book talks about is that it's not necessarily that the technology that's coming in to disrupt has to be some sort of uh, massive improvement on the existing is that you're completely recalibrating what the what your customer base is based on a brand new value proposition, right. So that's sort of the overarching Mm -hmm. theme from the book. And if and if anybody in the comments disagrees with me, I would love to hear your opinion. Or if you disagree with me, Matt, I would love to hear your opinion as well. But that's sort of my takeaway. So when I think about lemonade, the the, I think that the key thing that people want to do when they have insurance is just to not deal with people. Like when I think about somebody that that is, um, you know, if, if I have an insurance claim, I just want to get on my phone. I want to get it over with because something crappy happened. I just want to file my claim and I just want the money to come. Right. I don't want to deal yep. with these like hoops and talking to three people and get it get approved and stuff like that. So I think that's where Lemonade That part of the AI piece is so freaking important. It's just removing the people aspect from it and having it just be the streamlined, super easy thing. And I think that's why it's getting such high scores is because people are just not dealing with people when something shitty happened, which is when you file a claim. Am I thinking about this incorrectly? Because that's my overarching theme as to why I think Lemonade is going to be very, very successful is that they're removing an aspect of the business that I think folks are are undervaluing, which is dealing with somebody when something crappy has happened, and you got to go through hoops to to get the money that you need to kind of move forward. What do you think? Yeah. Am I too simplistic? Yeah, or? that's, what, I mean, that's one of, of, I would say, a couple different um,
1: really important kind of, of, of theses, but it, just to, to drill down on that one a little bit more, mm-hmm. I, I do, I, I completely agree with you. Like. I, you know, I think you're not going to get a lot of like 60 year olds signing up for lemonade. Right. Cause they'd rather have like an insurance agent that they, they talk to. Um, right. So like, you know, clearly this is not going to be for everyone, but if you're looking at like, who's kind of the, the up and coming demographic, you know, it's going to be people in the, in their you know twenties and maybe early thirties who are kind of just starting out their, their career. And that demographic absolutely doesn't want to deal with people. They want to do it on their phone. They want it to be handled quickly. And they don't want, you know, like a, 45 minute long, you know, interaction with some agent to, to process a claim. Um, and, and so if, if you look at where Lemonade is, is successful right now, it's exactly with that demographic. It's with, you know, the young, younger people right now, you know, their renter's insurance is kind of like their, 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 you know, biggest um, uh, product right now. So it's like, they do get a little bit of a ding in, in markets because you know their, their enforced premium per customer is like, I think it's $240, $250, something like that. So it's mm-hmm. relatively small. But but I look at that and say, okay, so they've got an incredibly loyal customer base with net promoter score. I think it's like 78 or something like that. I forget what it is. 79, I think it is. So like just, just a notch under world class. Um, so incredibly good high uh, net promoter score. And, and it's with the demographic of people who are kind of just starting out their career. And we'll be, you know, leaving an apartment to purchase their first home and we'll be, you know, buying more expensive cars. And, you know, their their wallet is going to be growing because, you know, it's it's like uh, when you just take your first entry level job, of course, you don't have a lot of money and you're not going to be spending, you know, uh, what is it like $8,000 a year on, on insurance because like, right. you don't have that much money. But as that demographic ages and they're incredibly loyal to Lemonade. I think that's like the the best possible outcome because so so I think one of the the things that I think through is is yeah like of course they they hit the sweet spot within that demographic which which I think is important uh, one of the other side benefits of of that that kind of kind of lack of um, customer interaction or, or um, yeah customer interaction is you you are able to scale a lot more efficiently so if they do say 10x their customer base from here their Opex won't need to uh, increase anywhere close to 10x because it's going to be handled with this you know kind of software backbone um, that that other companies don't have. Um, so if you're trying to scale like AIG, it, like double. Let's say you want to double AIG's revenue. Well, you're going to have to probably double double the amount of agents that that you hire to kind of handle claims and 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 everything like that. Mm. So um, I, I think existing insurers are going to scale linearly, um, but if Lemonade is successful in scaling, their their operating leverage should be quite remarkable. Um, so you think the customer base increasing, like like actual customer count, is going to just increase naturally then the enforced premium per customer, if, if, if I'm thinking about this right, should also increase over time just as so that demographic kind of ages up and gets a more kind of mature um, product set that, that they're buying. And then if, if you kind of run those financials through a really efficient OPEX scale, it's like, man, that's that's gonna be they, they may have a higher multiple, they probably will have a higher multiple applied to them than those those kind of existing insurers because they should be more profitable if this thesis pans out. So that's that's where I get really excited is is you know on the kind of extreme bold case where they continue growing the customer base, they continue to increase the the enforced premium per customer. And their, you know, AI allows them to to kind of uh, price things appropriately, get the loss ratio down, kind of closer to industry average. If they get the, that kind of core business right, then the the
0: operating leverage is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, and and that operating leverage is sort of that the the parallel that I draw to Tesla specifically, because that was the thing that really attracted me to that to that uh, stock in the first place, which which was that operating leverage. You just dump the money in and then stuff will just come. You know, you don't have to spend that much to get that incremental sale. It's just, you've laid everything out. And um, I think it really just comes down to folks believing that their uh, AI expertise will really allow them to to get there. You know, I think, I think it's just, maybe that's the bottleneck that's, a, and I guess they're also very small, you know, compared to their mm-hmm. other competitors as well. And they're only doing what renters, they're doing pet insurance, are they doing anything else? Um, I think they have auto in one state in
1: Indiana, I believe, um, but okay. with the Metro mile acquisition, they'll get the, uh, uh, you know, uh, registrations in 50 States, but that, that won't really kind of flow through until next year, probably sometime, um, in sure. a meaningful way in, in, the financials. Um, and I think they're, they're starting to do some, some term life as, as well. Um, but for like, for the most part, yeah, like pet and renters is, 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 is I think the, the kind of bread and butter right now. Got it. Okay. And so, then- so there's absolutely execution risk there. Like it's not a slam dunk that you know they'll increase in force premium per customer and continue to grow the customer base. One of the things that that Dave Lee has highlighted and some others as well is like their, their marketing spend seems really high compared mm-hmm. to the the lifetime value of the customers. Um, which, if my thesis is true, that, that won't matter because the, the lifetime value of the customers will increase over time as, as those customers kind of mature. But if I'm not if I'm wrong, then that's actually a really significant issue. You know, if you can't grow the enforced premium per customer and you can't um spend your marketing dollars more efficiently, well, that that's kind of it for Lemonade, honestly. It's like, well, they need to either like drastically shrink their uh their marketing spend or find a different way to do it or, or something like that, because like you can't have for a prolonged period of time your your uh marketing spend per customer acquired be higher than the lifetime value of that customer, that obviously just won't pan out.
0: Got it. Do, no. do you view that as a, as a largest sort of a uh, headwind for the company moving forward? What's, how do you, how do you view the risks? Um, it's one, like, I think that's, that's one, I have a high degree of confidence that they will
1: overcome that. But yeah. when that happens is less clear to me. So, you know, I, I think what you've seen is like, you know, you start digging into these financials a little bit, it, it kind of makes sense to me why, why the the stock got hammered. Um, but. In, in my mind, I'm like, what well, doesn't? It doesn't really matter that much in in the in mm-hmm. the long run. Um, what matters a lot more than you know, customer acquisition cost, which, which is not you know cra- crazy as a dollar value itself, mm-hmm. um, but is getting how how successful are they? At kind of increasing that enforced premium per customer, and that has been increasing over time. And so, um, if that continues to increase, then like that concern will go away. And so to me it's, it's kind of like a lot of the, the Tesla haters would say like oh well like Tesla loses money on every single car they sell. Yeah. It's like well until Okay, yeah, that's true <laughs> until they don't, right? And then it was like okay, well, you know, Tesla's only profitable because of credits. And it's like okay, well uh I see your point, but operating leverage like like that right. doesn't at this particular point in time that's true, but that that doesn't uh mean that that will always be true. So you need to look you know, two, three, five years down the road and get okay, where do the trends suggest that this company is going? And so with, with Tesla, to me, it seems really clear that like, yeah, focusing on you know, net loss per car in 2019 or 2018 was a really stupid way to look at Tesla. But that's the way a yeah. lot of people look to Tesla. Mm-hmm. And and with Lemonade, I think the same sort of analogy is applying here. We're looking, oh, it's like, you know, uh customer acquisition costs is, is higher than lifetime value, bad company, stocks should go yeah. down like 80%. Like, they'll yeah. never make it. I'm like, well. Uh, no, that's that's like an overly simplistic way. You need to take like a, a holistic approach and, and and kind of do your best to project forward where the company will be in two, three, five years and say, okay, do I really believe that you know enforced premium per customer will increase? Yes, here's why. But challenge that assumption. And same thing with you know marketing costs. And will will they will they actually be able to scale OpEx? Will they actually be successful and kind of uh decreasing their their loss ratio over time which which they have been but um you got to go through each one of those individuals and not not uh individual assumptions and and i try to be very realistic like with with tesla when, when i was you know going through this exercise like i tried to be conservative on a lot of the assumptions and even still i was like okay i think i think the stock is going to like quadruple from here in 2019 was kind of my thesis, even with what I thought was kind of conservative assumptions. Yeah. Um, But it was because I was looking at it in a way that was much different than the way kind of normal wall street analysts were, were projecting it. Yeah. Uh, where there was like a, a reversion to the mean or like Toyota was the best possible outcome in terms of like financial performance for a, an automotive company that that could be possible. It's like, well, no, that's, that's an artificial limit. That's the that's yeah. reasoning by analogy rather than first principles. So I try to kind of think through things in the, in that level of like
0: granularity. Got it. And so if, if based on today's, so where we are today with lemonade and sort of everything that's going on with that company and, you know, let's zoom, let's zoom out 10 years in the, in the future, what, you know, cause you talked about thinking about these things in a probable, probabilistic, um, uh, Can't even say the word because I have an accent and it sometimes doesn't come out. You know, it's a hard one for me. I like it is weird. I struggle with English and it's the only (laughs) primary language. (laughs) Um, What uh, what percentage uh, success um, chance would you give Lemonade to reach uh, your your expected positive outcome? Is it forty percent, eighty percent, just? curious to hear. And if you don't want to share the number, that's fine too, but I'm curious. If- no, yeah. Uh, yeah. Emmett and I actually, we, we talked about this in our, uh, a recent interview we had and, and
1: normally Emmett's more optimistic on this stuff than, than I am. But um, okay. I, I think I actually said, like, I think there's like a 75 to 80% chance Maybe not that they increase 20x, but that they're kind of successful generally mm. with these trends that, that I've outlined of like increasing enforced premium, customer base continues to increase, you know, you get the financials in some sort of uh, like stable um, cash flow positive position. Um, yeah. Over 10 years, I think it should be a, a lot higher than that. But maybe in, in five years, they get to that point where it's like, okay, clearly they've, they've turned the corner. They're not like a bankruptcy risk. Um Emmet I think I forget his exact number but I think he said somewhere like 60 65% chance that, that they get there. So I'm okay. actually a little bit more optimistic uh that uh, than than Emmet on uh, on that point but um like it's it's like when you're investing in in growth companies there's there, like it there absolutely is a probability that they don't figure it out like
0: most fail Tesla, right they, don't like 80% yeah, of most them fail. go back. yeah
1: yeah for sure like like Tesla what if Tesla never figured out the Model 3 ramp like of course they could have raised more capital and everything like that. And you know, yeah. maybe they eventually had to like bring in some actual automotive expert who can tell them how to run a plant and like that sort of thing. Like that, that was a yeah. probable or a possible outcome, you know, at one point in, in the company's history. And of course, or yeah. of course before then they, they could have failed too. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to kind of be reasonable about that and not just say like, oh uh, like YOLO, I'm going to, you know, buy like <laughs> deep out of the money option, like calls and I'm going to get hundred X if I'm right. It's like, well maybe, yeah. but you know, maybe there's only 10% chance that you're, that you're right. And so what's the outcome there? Are you comfortable losing everything if you kind of, you know, put X amount of,
0: of dollars into that investment? So it, it do you think it's really important to kind of be prudent in that regard? Gotcha. Yeah. So, so it's pretty, so th- those are pretty, um, those are very favorable success outcomes. There's one, there's one thing you said about the, the model three ramp. So like, I think, I think what's interesting about like the parallels that I draw between those two is that, uh, Tesla, Tesla's Model three ramp, I honestly think that if and I'm trying to figure out how to bring this back to lemonade, because I I, I view them in, in a similar place where they're, they're in a position unless they turn the corner, they're probably not going to end up well. And everybody mm-hmm. that is positive on the company is saying they will turn the corner, they will turn the corner. What's interesting about the Model three ramp was that if and you can see this with the Sandy Monroe videos. You can see this about Elon's comments about how they use 17 different materials and the rear casting, which was one of the dumbest decisions they could have made. A lot of decisions that Tesla makes when, when they ramp up brand new things, they seem like they're way less than optimal, but they're optimized to just get it out the door. Just freaking make it happen so we can start um, getting this product out to the market. But what's interesting about the Tesla uh way, which I've seen personally, is that the, the only company that can do that is Tesla, because of the talent they have, and the engineering that they have, and the leadership that they have, if, if any other company approached the Tesla sort of ramp, um, you know, like GM or Ford or anybody else approached the model three ramp, like Tesla did, they would go bankrupt so fast, you know, but, but the reason I think why Tesla succeeded was because they had those people there that were able to innovate constantly on that just get it out the door and then we'll figure out how to make it better over time which will improve our profitability and then with the you know um um, scale that we'll have we'll be fine do do you think that lemonade has a similar level of talent and similar level of leadership that will allow them to sort of turn that corner i'm curious to hear your thoughts about that
1: yeah that's, that's a really interesting question um it's and it's so true on uh, what you said on, on the Model Three ramp because like I, I remember my CEO at the at the time at the company that I was working for used to used to be an executive at GM and she went and toured the Tesla plant and was like t- in 2017 I think it was maybe it was yeah. 2018 and, and she was telling us about like what a total disaster it was and they would never figure this out and like she was wow. saying all this stuff of like they don't understand like basic automotive manufacturing and I was listening to her I was like okay you're more of an expert in automotive manufacturing than I am. But I also mm-hmm. think you don't know what the hell you're talking about because right. you've got this one, you know, way of thinking about things. And then like Tesla turns around and like says, Well, we're just gonna put a tent up there and we'll solve a problem. Like that was not in the playbook of like GM or Ford or anyone. Right. Um, so it it's 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 really interesting. Uh, in in terms of, of of how that translates to lemonade, I think. Realistically, they don't have the the kind of brand cachet that Tesla has right now in terms of like attracting like the the if you're a top AI engineer, um, you're probably going to choose Google or Tesla over Lemonade right now. Let's just be honest about that. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they're um, not doing things in a, an incredibly innovative way and, and that they don't have a very talented team. I mean, I, I think I think the uh, the CEO is is incredibly capable, and they've it, got kind of like a a dual role where, where I think the the kind of skill sets of the, of the two really complement each other well. Um, so, you know, they're I would say they're not um, at the same level of, of like a Tesla or a SpaceX, say, in terms of kind of kind of a brand cachet and, and attracting top talent. Um, but <laughs> they're going against um, an incumbent space, which is you know, so backward looking, um, and, and is frankly kind of slow to move, um, that I think they've got the, it's possible they they may be going up against like weaker competitors than, than Tesla was within the automotive space, you know, is it, is it better to take on, you know, AIG and, you know, MetLife and all these companies with like their 200 years of actuarial data that, you know, things have always been going this way. And we like, we know how to run this business and it's safe. And like, it's very predictable, honestly. Um, but so I don't think they're going to be successful in kind of like making a move to not having agents and automating things in, in a meaningful way. And part of the reason the net promoter score is so high for lemonade is because they're very focused, not only on like getting the AI right, but on like the human interaction with the AI. So they spend an insane amount of time on details. Like how should we word, you know, this one, this like third screen in the claims process and so they try mm. different iterations of that and they're very kind of mindful of what is the consumer thinking at this at this point in time and how can we make the process better how can we get better information out of the way that we design this screen so i think if you know aig or one of these other you know insurers tries to launch something similar they won't obsess over the details like that you know right. like they'll probably outsource it to a third party that like you know can handle the ai a little bit maybe they'll build an internal team but it'll be like designed by committee sort of thing a lot like the Chevy Volt was when GM wanted to compete with Tesla, and it was like, okay, they, you know, over-engineered yeah. it. It was you know a money-losing product, and uh, yeah. still nobody really, you know, flocked to that as a as a as a you know BEV. Um right. So that's a bit of a whining answer, but um, I, I think there's there's maybe a lot to uh, to unpack there with the kind of competitive landscape and what they're doing, what Lemonade is doing, kind of differentiated from the
0: makes total traditional sense. incumbents. Yeah, it makes total sense. Do, do you know how old? I should have looked this up before because I really wanted to pick your brain on lemonade. I don't know why I didn't look this up. Do you know how old the average incumbent is, like of the of the insurance companies? Are they like hundred year old companies? Do you know? By any chance? Um, I, don't, I don't know about the average age, but like, yeah. what's that? Like, uh, there's one out of England
1: that's like literally was created when like people were shipping things in like the 1700s, and they're like, oh, okay, well if the whole oh ship my God. goes under, yeah, I, oh gosh, what's the name of that one? Is it? I think it's Lloyd's. Okay. Just look. Uh, Lloyd's. Yeah, and so I'm, Lloyd's I'm is, curious. Lloyd's is 336 years old. It was founded in 1686, <laughs> and they're one of the largest insurers in the world. <laughs> like, wow. like, highly reputable. Um, like Swiss Re is 158 years old. I'm just
0: looking at this right now. AIG is 1919.
1: 19-19. Yeah, 102 so, okay, years so old. Relatively new. Um. But like people Whoa. know how to run these businesses because they've been doing it for literally 100, 100 or more years or 336 years if, if you're Lloyd's. <laughs> um, and so I, I think like the willingness to take a risk on, on you know, something like what Lemonade is trying to do is probably going to be pretty small. And I think if they do, yeah. do dip their toes in that direction, like it's going to make sense for, for other insurers to do uh, kind of telematics like like Metromile is doing and some of them are already doing that to some extent so I think they're going to yeah. be forced to because literally to price that product well you need better data um, yeah. so I think they're going to lo- just the auto business at least will lose if they don't you know adapt to that but right. um, I, I don't see the others kind of building this AI you know it's like an entire um, one piece of software essentially that like handles everything for the company like claims processing yeah. pricing you know and um, uh, underwriting and in and, and you know, actuarial kind of kind of analysis, and it's constantly yeah. evolving and getting better over time. And and I just don't see the incumbents um, doing that in in kind of like a holistic way that would allow for like a step change in profitability with like the operating leverage that we we spoke about. Yeah, I, I think I, there I, might be some incrementalism there, but not like the big step change.
0: I agree. I think it, the way I think about. Uh, really old companies, especially in, in this day and age of technology is that time is totally against you. Like the longer you've been around in this day and age, the worse you're going to, you're going to have, the growth is going to bring more people in that over time are going to become entrenched because of human nature, right? They're just going to be like, eh, I don't want to change. This is too hard. Hire somebody else. You know, I want to keep my job or whatever. Like there is, there is a lot of, um, like 102 years old in 2020, a company that's been around for 102 years old, all I all I think about is you are about to just fail, like something bad's going to happen to you unless you literally figure out how to completely dismantle the company, turn it into a bunch of smaller companies and then start brand new with brand new staff. Um, is that is that weird to think? Because literally, like the older the company is, the more I'm like, you're, you're dead, like you're going to get disrupted. It's, it's only a matter of time with technology what what do you think about that statement is that too like th- narrow minded there's there's probably some
1: exceptions where that's not the case but sure. um it seems increasingly true i mean the the pace of technological um Im- improvement is accelerating and that's going to in my mind drastically change the entire economy uh, and so of course if you're drastically reshaping the economy then they're there will be companies within there that are like extreme winners and a lot that are, you know, huge losers. Um, I was actually an intern for general motors for two summers before I, uh, I moved out to New York. Whoa. And like, like I knew nothing. Like I was like literally in college, like interns really don't do anything, but I was like, seeing the culture and like the types of people that they had there and like the, the layers of management. And it was like, okay, I remember going, going to this one meeting with somebody who was like an executive director and all the like people who were with me, like, Oh my gosh, it's such a big deal. Like we're talking to the executive director. And I'm like, it's just a person. Like, yeah. why don't we like, like there, they were so, there was so much focus on like the company procedures instead of like the end value that we're delivering to customers or or like profitability. And so yeah I, I i having just seen that firsthand like as a as like a college intern i could see that there was something like definitely wrong with general motors and then like a year later they went bankrupt of course wow um, but but i know a lot of people in that space right now gm ford um a lot of my good friends work for those companies because i'm I'm here in michigan and like all the same concerns that i had you know when i was an intern so many years they're ago still there. Like, they're, they're still there They're like oh gosh like So, so much bureaucracy. And and so I I do think, yeah, certainly within the automotive space that that bureaucracy is there. Um, I actually have a a good friend who's also kind of in the insurance space. He did, he worked on an insurance startup. And so I've kind of picked his brain on on the industry. He's actually uh, um, pessimistic about Lemonade's um, uh, future. So it's good to really bounce ideas Mm -hmm. off of him. Um, But, you know, I think he's, he's got a little bit of that, of that legacy mindset in my mind. And I love him to death. It's a, you know. Nothing personal about it, but I just, it's like, okay, I I want to get the bear case from you. And then I I kind of process it. And I I still think you're kind of missing the mark. So I do think within the leadership of, of, um, a lot of these, these older companies to get to the very top, you have to have like succeeded in the old realm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so like the kind of person who would like say, we need to drastically
0: overhaul this company is not going to be successful at climbing to the top of the ladder to be in a position to do so. So true. So true. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that the, the the folks that you're friends with at those, uh, so they're still there today to this date. They're still working at like GM and those companies or was that? Recently? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they're still
1: okay. there. Uh, two of my closest friends. Yeah. One works for Ford. One works for GM. Uh, the third friend actually works for an insurance company. Yeah. Um, but I've got a lot of other kind of friends and family that work for, you know, suppliers in in the automotive market or, or for GM and Ford also. And uh. it's, pretty clear like you know to hear them talk about it that they don't love working there but it's a good paycheck and it's like nice benefits and everything yeah wow <laughs> so tough. that,
0: that like, is i mean that's doom i mean that's that's like how how, how does Ford or gm like outside of literally completely changing their uh hundred year old culture however long they've been around and and sort of these layers of bureaucracy how do they pivot to compete in the in the coming decade you know like rivian and tesla and all these newcomers it just it, they're so ripe to just be completely demolished, you know, and and, I, and, I'm, and the, my concern is, you know, the 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 impact to the economy, like in my head, I, I GM and Ford are already bankrupt in my head, like and they've been bankrupt for the last like five years. I'm like, this is just somebody I, I forget who said this, but it's the they explain it as the uh, this is the slowest motion train wreck you'll ever see is the failure of GM and Ford as they go through this sort of disruptive change. And my biggest concern uh, in the coming years is as they start to fail, the amount of jobs that are going to be sort of lost and the way the economy is going to be impacted because of their failures could be significant. Do you ever think about that, about, you know, how how these legacy automakers, when they start to fail, if they start, I don't, I don't know if, if you believe that they're going to start to fail, but... I'm curious to hear your thought process about legacy auto. How how um, What do you think the outcome is going to be for these folks? And if if the negative outcome is true, do you think it's going to be a, as big of an impact to the economy as I think it is? Or I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. Well, I mean, we, we lived through it in recent history. I mean, uh, you know,
1: Chrysler and, and GM went bankrupt in, in 2008. Yeah. And what happened there wasn't a huge surprise. The government bailed them out. And, you know, people in Michigan, like all my friends at that time, everybody that works in the space is like, well, they, they have to get bailed out because if they don't, go, um, and even like Toyota supported the, the bailouts, which seems strange, mm. but, um, literally if, if GM and Ford just don't pay their suppliers, the suppliers will go bankrupt. And then the entire supply chain will like collapse. And so then the other, uh, OEMs won't be able to produce cars. It's like, it, it could produce this kind of like, you know, runaway, you know, economic effect. Um, which is, I, I think, a legitimate concern, um, uh, but <laughs> I think this, the most probable outcome, and you see this with like, like how successful GM is with their lobbying right now. Like, <laughs> pretty sure if that happened again, they'd probably just get another bailout. Yeah, out. yeah. Uh, you know the way the political landscape is working right now. Like, I don't see any sort of like principled stand being like taken where it's you know p- people say, well, we just have to you know kind of let go of these legacy players that aren't competitive anymore.
0: You know, yeah.
1: GM had its balance sheet like radically cleaned up they were kind of speeded in and out of bankruptcy it was like 60 days or so, something ridiculous like that yeah it was this like pre-planned uh bankruptcy where that there was somebody from the uh, from the from the fed that i think got a board seat or maybe it was even the temporary ceo at the time i kind of forget the details but yeah you know there, there was so much kind of like interaction between the federal government and and gm that it was like wow well, like all the people all the agents who kind of led into this situation we were fine. You know, they got, you know, nice, nice you know, packages and, and buyouts. Yeah. And of course there was some pain for the, for the bondholders, but, and, and the, the equity holders got wiped out, but um, yeah, yeah I, I can tell you like from living in Michigan before 2008, when they went back up and after the economics didn't really change too much. So okay. it's, gotcha. it's kind of some sad commentary. And, and I think they're trying to move in the right direction, but I was listening to the Ford earnings call this week and, Uh, Jim Farley was even saying, you know, in order to have a successful EV business, we need a successful ice business. So what he's saying is like, they're not successful. Like they can't profitably sell EVs right now. Um, And so I hope they can manage that transition, but I don't think they can.
0: Yikes. (laughs) That's scary. So, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of where where I start to the cynic in me says like the the whole Mary Barra and uh, Joe Biden thing is just like the the there. And, they, and you know, Biden being really close to the UAW, of course, you know, I, you know there's a certain thing where, you know, Democrats have always been pro-union. And I know Biden's history with the UAW is pretty strong and all that stuff. But it just to me, you know, and maybe I'm just thinking about this too simply, but it just feels like they're already starting to have like. Like a part of me says, and I was, you know, I was falling asleep to this. I'm like, I wonder if, if, uh, you know, GM and Ford executives are already talking to the U S government and saying, Hey, we're probably going to fail in the next three, four years. What can we do to kind of ease the transition? You know, like, like I'm wondering if those conversations actually happened, but like that, the part of me, you know, that, that has seen how corporate America works in a way and sort of like the upper tranches of like the society and how they tend to work together. Like. I have a hard time believing that's not the case. Like, like Mary and Ford and all these folks, all the executives have to see the writing on the wall. They have to see it. They, I don't think they're, you know, if they don't see it, I, I would really question their ability <laughs> as an executive. I really would. They have to see it. Like what, what do you think? Am I, am I too conspiracy theorist over here? Like tinfoil hat? Like a Yeah. I don't think they do see it, but, um, maybe
1: the one part I I would agree with is like, um, having, if you think that, that going bankrupt down the road is even in the realm of possibilities, it's going to be a good idea to have like a a nice cozy relationship with the administration. So I, I I think that could be, you know, part of, of the situation. Um, but honestly, I do believe that like, mary barra in particular i think she thinks that gm is actually going to like lead the ed revolution or, or at least will become more more competitive with uh you know w- with tesla and will mm. be successful like based on the, the time that i spent with people working at these companies there's like this crazy brand loyalty thing going on with, with these companies like i i had um a Ford car for a while when I worked at GM and it was like, Oh, you can't park that car in this parking lot. Like we only want Mm. the best cars here. So like there's this like weird posturing and like, even like I heard stories of like people would like park a toy Toyota and they would go to one of the plants and then like the workers would like key their car. So like get out of here with your foreign imports, like killing American jobs. Um, So there's there's, like, there is, I think this weird um, kind of pride that, Customers love our, you know, Buick and Cadillac and, and you know, like GM GMC brands. I, I think they genuinely believe that. And and you probably have to, to, to like be successful in this space. Um, but there, there was this unhealthy undercurrent, at least when, when I was there from, for, from my time at GM of like, they would do these shows where they'd like bring in all these cars and like, look how amazing all of our GM products are. Like they would literally have like, you know, 30 different like, high-end GMC cars and like Mm. the employees would be encouraged to go down and oh if you want to buy one you can get like a five thousand dollar discount and go tell your friends about it. So there's it's it's cult is too strong of a word, but there's there's um a level of pride in their products which I think is disjointed from reality. And so I I do think that um they're they they do believe that they have a legitimate shot of like you know becoming a like successfully managing the transition to EDs.
0: Wow. So so they it sounds like they're totally blind. It really does sound like they're totally blind if if that's the sort of the picture that man I,
1: I hesitate Yikes. to paint with such a broad brush. Um yeah and, and Jim Farley does seem to be a little bit more level-headed about this stuff yeah. in my mind that, than Mary Barra does. Uh and like Herbert Deese was like uh, incredibly like uh realistic about Volkswagen's prospect. But you saw what happened right. I think they have pushing the best chance. Out. Yeah. I, I do too, but um if 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 Deese actually had more authority than than he really does. They really have a chance. Um, so I, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a strange thing when kind of the more realistic you are, the more pushback internally you you seem to get. Um, mm. But there there is a real tension, I think, of if you if you want to do like implement a Herbert Deese like radical overhaul of the company. You're going to yeah. get rid of all your most profitable vehicles intentionally, and that's a big risk. And there's going to be shareholder pushback to that, and there's going to be a lot of kind of management jockeying for for position, and and like people whose people whose um you know divisions would be on the on the cutting table. They're going to you know fight like crazy to avoid the hack, and and you yeah. know uh like make these kind of corporate power plays. Like I that happens, um, yeah. and so I think it's there's a lot of reasons why the cards are kind of stacked against the incumbents
0: in my mind. Yeah. What a, what a crazy dynamic, man. I wanted to, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And so Palantir, is that, is that something that you're, um, that you're familiar with? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that company. Is that, have you researched it? No, I, I, you know,
1: I I hear a lot of people that I really respect talking a a lot about the stock and, and it does seem like they've got something pretty unique going on there. Um, I I just frankly don't know the details well enough to really have a strong opinion on it other
0: than, you know, people that I respect seem to really like the company, but I'd be curious, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I've started researching it just because of what you've mentioned is that there's a lot of like, you know, high profile folks. I know Tom Nash is somebody that I respect and I listen to, and he's super high on Palantir. There's other folks that talk about Palantir a lot, but like for me, so, so my background is data. You know, my, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I was a director of BI uh, and pricing as well at my previous gig before Tesla. At Tesla, you know, I was essentially an analyst, but really I was really a, a BI person that was also super mm-hmm. close to the process and engineering of, of supply chain. So um, I, I feel like I understand data really well and sort of the power that it can have to help a business make decisions. But as I'm sort of researching the company, the thing that I'm having a tough time understanding is what is the actual thing that Palantir does that is anything different than what a BI team does, um, you know, which is <laughs> that's just... A, build, that's a really good question. Yeah, You know, which is just building a suite and then it's as automated as possible. And then the people do the work to, you know, make decisions, right? Like, and that's where I'm struggling. Like, and and the thing I keep hearing is like, well, they have AI that, that will help you know, it will help somehow, the AI will help. And and my fear there is that AI has become this sort of weird buzzword that people use to describe code or to describe an algorithm. You know, like they're, and, and I, I'm not, yeah. I, don't, I really don't mean to shit on the company. I really don't, because I still don't understand it fully, but like the, the way I think about it is okay. So if Palantir has to uh, send people out to your company to build this thing out and then, and then leave, right? I feel like wh- where does the AI really come in? How is that any different than a team that has analysts that build that suite from scratch? So that's one. And then uh, from a scaling perspective, you know, they, I think they're growing about 30% year over year or something like that, which seems really low for software, in my opinion. Um, but mm-hmm. compare that to like a Microsoft, right? Microsoft is like freaking everywhere. And they have SQL and they have yeah. Power BI And they have all these different, you know, ways for, you know, they have freaking access if you really want to use that as a database, right? They have all these different tools. Don't don't use access. That's no good. Don't use that. No, don't. (laughs) You're right. Don't use access. But they have all these different products and already they're already permeated across the entire landscape of business, right? Like everybody trusts Microsoft. They have a whole cloud uh, business as well attached to it. like. I just don't see I don't see Palantir's value proposition I don't understand it at all and, and and part of it I think is me maybe I haven't done the right research I'm not looking at the right thing but I'm mm-hmm. I I'm very confused as to why folks are so high on it and and I'm afraid that the buzzword of AI is the thing that's making people excited um I don't know Th- those are my thoughts I, I don't know what you think about that but that's 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 sort of where I'm at
1: yeah I it's, it's very clear that like AI is is being like bludgeoned about by by people who don't really understand it, um, and, and right. I worry about that a little bit with with the lemonade thesis. To be honest with you, because like sure. lemonade talks about AI all the time, and I'm like, okay, well, how like what specifically are you doing in there that gives you an edge in terms of pricing or whatever over your over your competitors? And and that's that's maybe one of the biggest question marks I, I have on lemonade. But so I completely agree with you that you know that that kind of AI term is just like AI solves everything. It's like well, yeah. like no, like. Especially within like the like the BI world, I think it needs, there's a lot of customization that needs to happen. Now, like some problems or like BI processes are are analogous company to company, so you could you know kind of kind of re implement those. Um, but yeah, I, I do kind of struggle. Like I, I don't know that I'd want to be in the business of trying to take enterprise software sales away from from Microsoft. Like that's like, like they've proven to be pretty cutthroat over time. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I don't want to get too um, deep into it, just because I'm. There, there's a high probability that that I'm I'm wrong in my kind of gut gut reaction here, just because I haven't dug into it as deeply as I have some of the other names. So sure. I, I'm, I'm certainly wide open to that possibility as well. But I'm yeah. wrong, and the Tom Nashes of the world are are right, and yeah, um, this this will be the like the next big thing. That's that's absolutely
0: possible. Sure, sure. And like the other piece for me too is like the the AI AI learns using data. Right. But my understanding is that Palantir doesn't actually own they the data. They don't own the data. Yeah. That's so my understanding are, as well. That like so the, how? The,
1: you know, I, I don't like, I guess you have they must have access to it, um, but they don't own right. it, I would think. So so I that's a that's a question i thought about too in the limited amount of time I've spent looking at this. But how transferable, like if you get a great, you know, um process set up for one company. And you can use kind of like the the AI that you built around that uh, that one application at another company that's a competitor or something. I don't think you can actually do that. I think you would have to go and natively create like replicate that AI with the data of the other company. Um, mm. And if that's true, that seems again I could be I could be wrong on that, but that's my understanding mm-hmm. since they don't own the data. Um, but yeah, I, I, I struggle to see how they they scale really
0: quickly um, if if that is the case. Yeah, it's it's weird. I have to do more research for sure. But and like and that's the one thing I'm trying really hard to do as well. Is like people, um, I, I almost force myself to say, okay, people that I really respect. If I if you have like a name or something that you're really really high on, I'm going to research it and I'm going to try my best to see if I can disprove your thesis. Right? Like, yeah. And then the, the thing with talent here is that like literally within 20 minutes, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what it's about. And that's why I'm like I, so confused by it. You know, yeah, I, I had a similar experience with Shift Four. I, I don't know if you followed that company, but you know, I'm fascinated. Actually, are you okay? I'd love because to hear a, about your thesis. That's yeah. another
1: one where, like, I was seeing all the all the testable people that I really respect saying, like, like Shift Four's got like this, you know, great leadership and like yada yada. And so I, I would read these like very detailed Twitter threads, and I was like, I just don't get it, like. Like this, the, the 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 payment space seems to me that it, the most likely outcome is that it's going to be erased to the bottom in terms of like transaction fees. So mm-hmm. even if Shift Four does kind of scale globally, I mean the the quick back of the of the napkin exercise I did was say, all right, let's say Starlink is wildly successful and Shift Four is handling all the payments for that. And then that creates like a margin, and then I apply a multiple to that. And I I did that, and I was getting like a fraction of the of the current share price. I was like, I, oh geez, okay, that <laughs> that seems like a lot of execution risk. Um, and and they're going to need to have like huge applications, um, on top of uh just Starlink. So like Starlink alone won't won't cause this to be a good investment and i heard the the ceo the ceo is is certainly impressive so credit where credit's due he's an impressive guy and the stuff that he he's doing to kind of expand internationally i think that's that's really smart um but like you know when when square had the uh acquisition of it wasn't a firm gosh what was it um i forget it was one of those other payment payment platforms that that um like um installment payment platforms that they bought so i I, Mm -hmm. I started getting into the space and dug it and I just I don't know. To me, it does seem like it's going to be a bit of a race to the bottom where you're going to have to, in order to to be competitive with the credit card companies, you're going to have to underprice them, um, which makes the total addressable market smaller. And so then how can how can the combined market cap of all the successful companies? Going forward, be higher than that of the incumbents. So to me, it seemed like there's there's probably a limited outcome, and and multiples will compress relative to where they are right now. I could be
0: wrong. A lot of people I respect, but what's 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 the what am I missing on the the shift four story, dude? Honestly, mine was like I'm going to take a little bit of money, and it's connected to Starlink. I'm going to buy some stock. It was literally that. It was like if if somebody's partner with Elon, and Elon can see the future really really well, and he chose Shift Four as the partner for what could be the sort of global communication system for earth and Mars. I feel like that has a lot of potential, but I, I didn't do that deep. I just, I took literally less than 1% of my, of my worth. And I'm like, here, just shift forward. Let's see where it goes. Um, yeah. so th- that's literally my thesis connected to Starlink. Starlink's <laughs> going to be giant. Elon typically knows what he's doing. I'm gonna trust that whole thing, and then maybe as time goes by, I'll start really digging into the financials and understanding where it could go. That's literally that was literally my play. It was super super basic, super yeah, stupid. Well, with, with like what well, I think I think it's like taking flyers like that with one percent of your portfolio, there's, there's nothing wrong yeah.
1: with that in, in my mind. Um, so a lot sure. of times I'll do the just with a, like a name that I I want to understand more. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time digging into like a company's financials if I'm not actually invested in them. Exactly. So sometimes I'll put, put just like a very small token amount that I'm more than willing to lose or get cut in half. And then it's like, all right, yeah. I should listen to this earnings call and, and, you know, dig through the 10 K and everything like that. So yeah. I, I totally get where you're coming from. And, and, that's a, that's a pretty decent thesis, honestly, that like Elon kind of <laughs> knows where the future is going. Right. And so like,
0: just, like ride those tailcoats, like that's sure that's a reasonable assumption. Yeah, exactly. The, the dude is rarely wrong, especially when you think about like the, the, the broader trends of, of society and where we're going with technology. And so if he's going to partner with somebody anyway, yeah, I, um, yeah. that's so interesting. Um, I know we're approaching an hour, an hour and a half already, which this is, dude, I enjoyed talking to you so much, but do you have a, a few more minutes for me so I can yeah, go yeah, through sure. a couple more things? Awesome, awesome. Um, man, I really wish I could, I could keep uh, digging deeper on some of these things, but I know you have five kids and you have a pregnant wife. I'm not going to take away too much <laughs> time. And you're you also work doing good soil stuff, so I don't want to take too much of your time. I'm really appreciative of the time you've already uh, given me, so I really uh, appreciate no, that. No, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of already talked, Uh, about this a little bit. So let me let me hit this this question. So COVID um, was a transformational period for a lot of people for either the better or for the worse, right? So one of the Mm -hmm. conversations I had with Emmett was that, um, you know, I, uh, both of our both of our sort of paths seem to have, mine was definitely prompted by COVID to really help me think about and then Emmett mentioned that you know, what he was doing was around the same time as COVID happened and he wanted to do a little bit more sort of thinking and and praying to like understand how that sort of changed his path. But, you know, with with the whole thing that happened a couple of years ago, do you feel like COVID in any way um, shaped your direction on where you're going with your life? Um, I'm curious to hear about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, probably in, in two big ways that, you know, the first of which was just personally. So, um with with my previous job I uh I was commuting an hour each way to work. Um and so, you know, I was getting up early and, you know, rushing out the door. Um and then I would get home at like 6:30 like at night, which wasn't that bad, but you know, I I'd, I'd miss dinner and it was basically just like I would scarf down dinner by myself, run upstairs, like get the kids in bed and then like collapse at 9:30 after we like, you know, did this mad dash to get all the kids down and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with COVID made you on know, my company and went remote. And so I had two more hours of my day freed up. So all of a sudden I was like, okay, I've always wanted to exercise, but I've never had the time to do it. So I started exercising for like extra, I would do like 15 minutes of prayer every morning and the 45 minute exercise. So I was like, okay, I've got this like great routine kind of set up now where as before, like I just didn't really take the time to take care of myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a big change that like happened really suddenly. And then on the, on the back end of my day. I was sitting down for dinner and in a lot of cases, I'm actually just helping my wife make the meal. And so really relieving a lot of the burden of, of her day. And so our kind of family cohesion and, and my own kind of like level headedness was really impacted just by, by staying home and getting those, those two hours back in my day and, and using them for, um yeah. Self care sounds a little bit, you know, <laughs> hippie ish, but, uh, like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's true. A little bit it's of important. Like, it's true. Taking care yeah. of myself and then also being having more really, really quality time with my family. That was like a huge change in my life. Um, then just from a day to day perspective, um, then, you know, obviously with like the, um, the market kind of recovery that, that happened around then, it, it, it absolutely helped, uh, the, you know, the multiples of, of growth stocks, Tesla obviously being the biggest one yeah i when i was when i kind of made my big bet in tesla i was assuming a, a certain forward multiple and um you know what, what you what you saw is that the growth multiples in particular just like drastically accelerated so um you know i think all the money the fed pumped into the system and you know like the the optimism around growth and tech stocks in general clearly led to like outsized gains that um you know was was pretty fortuitous so i was in my mind i was like right on the the thesis with my tesla investment but like it was accelerated by you know kind of this macro thing that covid absolutely um accelerated so you know that that kind of gave me the the flexibility to you know make such a drastic move with leaving my job But I'm, I'm i'm not sure if the market really took off and the macro took off in 2020 if it was just like steady macro market and tesla out, significantly outperforming, I probably wouldn't have left my job. So um in a in a strange way,
0: I'm I'm kind of grateful for uh at least that aspect of, of COVID. Yeah, that that's the one thing as as we're sort of exiting the the that time period. You know, I, you know, folks can say, you know, that you know one can make your argument pandemic's not over, you know, it is whatever. But it, it happened a couple of years ago and there was a drastic change to the world. And then two yeah. years later, I think uh, folks, have had time to reflect, like for me personally, I remember early on um, my dad got COVID in like March of 2020 or April. 20. Okay. It was like early on. And he was so sick for two weeks. Like I, I honestly thought he was going to die. I thought he was going. And then mm-hmm. miraculously, a couple of days, you know, I think it was like day 14, the fever finally went away and then he was able to freaking walk again and eat and all that stuff. So it was super, super scary. Wow. Uh, and how you know, long it was his recovery after that? I think it took him like at least a month to get back to like where he usually is. Yeah. Like, you know, walking around was tough and everything. So he was impacted by it hard, you know, and, and, and fortunately for us, like at, at least close family members, anybody I can think about, hopefully nobody passed away from, from the period. So I was very, very lucky to not have any sort of, um, any sort of negative consequences, uh, drastic consequences from, from COVID. I got COVID like two, three weeks ago. It was Omicron. It was the first time I got it and it was i'm pretty sure it was omicron because i was down for two days and then i was fine uh, after that but um you know it's so that that was a a thing that really sticks out to me from the COVID period but then the other thing that also sticks out to me is that the unless that happened um sort of you know similar to to your situation i wouldn't have sat down and like really thought about okay what do i want to do with my life there's all this crazy stuff happening you know there is there's this sort of path towards um financial independence that's starting to really become viable. Uh, what's my what's my path in life? And I don't think unless COVID happened, I don't think I I don't think I would have been doing this. You know, I think I would have still been yeah. working, I, I would have still been doing my thing. And um yeah, so in, in a way, and, and I'm curious to see like as we go, you know, through the years here, how many more stories we're gonna hear from people that were positively impacted by COVID in some way, you know, because we're always so focused on the negative aspects of something, which we should be, you know, if if there's death and yeah. despair, of course it's very important. But on the other side too, I'm curious to see how many stories we're going to hear where people were positively impacted by what happened. And that's not to again to discredit all the terrible things, but I think the other side is also interesting to think about. Do you think about that yeah. at all? Is that something you oh about? think absolutely? Yeah. Like
1: it, it's you do want to kind of keep both aspects of it of it in mind. Like yeah. of course it's like a it's a it's a terrible tragedy, and and uh, so many people have died, and and you know I know people have been incredibly sick and. Uh, and died from it, and so it's it's sad, and there, there's no escaping that. Um, but I think you can acknowledge that, and also think about, um, you know, what has it changed in in a way that is positive? Because um, I, don't, I don't think anything is black and white. Um, at least of all, you know, the, the pandemic, um, and and, the, and I think it it accelerated a lot of technological changes. I mean, like if you if you look at, you know, how many Zoom meetings we're doing now versus before, like that's probably a yeah. much better use of time than like, you know, I used to fly to all these meetings all the time. It's was like, yeah, I really could have done most of that remotely, but it just wasn't the culture, you know? Right. So, um, uh, so much, like, I, I think economic, um, waste has been removed from the system as a result of just people saying like, you know what, let's just, let's get the work done. But, you know, you can be in your pajamas when you need to, if, if you really need to, it doesn't really matter where you are. If you're you know, like wearing your, you know, dry, clean clothes or not, like, that's not really what matters. So it, it I think it was a, a bit of a force to like get rid of some of the extemporaneous, like, you know, um, like non-essential um, uh, bits of the economy, which, which I feel like I feel so bad for my local dry cleaners. I used to go there like every single week and now I'd go like mm. once a year. So they're like, it they definitely hit some people hard. But if, yeah. if I take a step back, I think, you know, that probably is a good thing. Like we, we probably shouldn't be spending like $4.00 to clean a shirt every single day that you wear, we wear it. Like that's not a really great use of resources. Um, so yeah, I I think it, it, it probably has been a force for good in, in, in that respect. And and I think it has accelerated some changes that, that otherwise would have played out a lot more slowly.
0: And I think that's a good thing. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. All right, to uh, wrap up this uh, awesome talk that I that I I really really enjoyed, Matt. I really really did. I, I feel like I got to you, know you a little bit better. I sort of have a I had a hunch of the kind of person you were just kind of listening to your uh, interactions with Matt or with Emmett, rather. But yeah, man, it's 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 been. I just feel like I know you a little bit better, and I you know it, it's cool. It's really cool to sort of understand where you're coming from and the things that have shaped you. So again, I want to appreciate the the time you took, man. It's it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. I love this kind of interview. I mean, I'm always happy
1: to like nerd out on like financial details and things like that. But I I think it's a lot more fun to to be a human and kind of talk
0: about life in general too sometimes. Yeah, that's what I try to do with these with these interviews is like, I just want to get to know the person and then we'll talk about the things that we nerd out about. But I also want to really get to know the the person as well. So I appreciate you being so open to (laughs) opening up. Um, I do. Okay, so here's, I'm going to play a little game with you. Okay, so it's called predict the future game. Okay. OK, and these are just questions that I came up with. And again, nobody hold Matt accountable to, these, to this, please. It's just a game. All right. There's nothing <laughs> there's no freaking anything special here. Just I'm really curious to see uh, what how, what you think about. Um, OK, uh, in 2022, how many times do you think the Fed will raise rates? Uh, four. And then what's the total percentage are they going to raise it by? I, I, th- I think one percent. So I, I think like four 25
1: basis point hikes seems about right to me. I could see it being three. I don't, I don't think it's going to be much more than that. And maybe I'm, I'm straying too far from the original question, but there are no, some people kind of seeing like doomsday scenarios where like over the course of the, say the next two years, they raise rates by like 4% or something, something like that to really combat and inf- run inflation. I just, I, I think that's highly unlikely. So uh yeah, pull this video down in two years if that's the case. But I think there's going to be like like rate hikes are obviously coming, but I, I think they're going to you know cap out around you know one and a half percent or so in in the next two years. Got it? Because I, remember- I, I I don't think the the deficit can can handle you know that much variable interest rate. Like like I I think a lot of people don't realize how, like if you double the rates or triple the rates, how much of an impact that has on the deficit, which is
0: already like out of control. Um, so gotcha. I think that's going to be the limiting factor. That makes a lot of sense. I, I remember watching. So I don't know if you follow uh, meet Kevin, but he's somebody that I just watch bit, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Just for more entertainment value. Than, I respect his opinion and everything, but I just kind of like listen to what he talks about, but the one I thing the it was always, I wish I wish I could pull yes, it off. Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> pink, green, whatever freaking color he had going on. Um, but he, he, Recently, he was talking about he was uh, covering the the f- when um, Jay Powell, as he calls him, Jerome Powell comes out and talks about the the things like, oh, we, we need some sort of clues that will tell us that it's not going to be a half uh, half percent, you know, 50 basis point uh, increase, you know, and then he was making a big deal that we weren't getting that sort of guidance is like, oh, it could be a 50 basis point increase. But you seem pretty convinced that that that's not it's going to be slow and Slow and low is what it sounds like uh, from your perspective. I, I don't know about yeah. slowness.
1: Like I, Maybe they, they do like 25 basis points in March and like 25 basis points in May or something like I gotcha, that. I like, gotcha. like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I, I gotcha. think I, where where I maybe have more conviction, and of course I could be wrong, but um, maybe they, they roll those out quickly. But I, I, I think the overall, uh, like the cumulative
0: increase, I don't think is going to be more than, you know, say, a percent and a half. Got it. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Um, what do you predict will be Tesla's share price by twenty twenty five?
1: 2025. That's interesting. Um, yeah, this this is where I'm prone to like pull out my model and do well. Yeah, looking at the forward ratio okay. based on my you know twenty
0: twenty
1: six earnings. <laughs> if you want to, you can.
0: It's up to you. <laughs> I I won't do that.
1: It would, it would be uh, not not great watching. But um, yeah, I, I, like to me, you have to you have to. Make an assumption about like, do they actually solve autonomy, and like, do they actually uh, like are robo taxis a thing? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if 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 they don't, then there's one answer, but um, and it's a very binary outcome, like whether or not the, the the Tesla network launches and there's like a fleet of millions of robo taxis out there generating yeah. you know platform fees and you know FSD is going for like thirty thousand dollars or more, like. The wildly different answers that, you know, that binary out- outcome will suggest. Um, I think it's more likely than not that they will have robo taxis on the road by, so, let's say, the end of 2025. Yep. Um, and that the market will kind of price that in accordingly. Um, and if that's the case, um, just, just spitballing, not going off of, you know, my model, which do- does account for this in more detail. Sure. I, I don't know. I think, I think like, you know four to five thousand dollars seems like a, a reasonable price by then but um yeah may, maybe four thousand dollars five thousand is probably a little bit on the high side but that that's that seems like a, a reasonable outcome and it could be a lot higher like uh, i've run scenarios where like if you if you take the full self-driving take rate to 100 which sounds ridiculous but if they actually solve autonomy and there's this like crazy demand then yeah. they could they would prioritize like robo taxi fleet operators who would presumably have as much demand as, as Tesla could produce by even by 2025. So Got I it. think there's a reasonable scenario where like FSD is priced at like $30,000. The take rate's a hundred percent. They're selling, you know, 7 million units by that time, let's say, and, and there's this fleet of robo taxis out there. And so like maybe in the most optimistic bull case, it's yeah, like $10,000 or so or something like that. Got so I, I think that's, that's
0: a, a potential outcome. I, I don't think it's likely, but I think that's potential. Got it. Yeah, what's interesting, I literally just pulled up my model. I have this thing out to like 2034. It's like a freaking, or 2035. <laughs> I'm just like having fun. You know, it's like nothing for fun. But I have it at uh, 4,500 by the end of 2025. So right in the middle of 4, your so, Okay, yeah. wow. Great lines. Yeah, that's Look at that. <laughs> we figured it out, guys. Buy, no, don't, don't buy. <laughs> do your own research. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Lemonade's market cap by the end of 2022. Wh- wh- what do you think it's going to be at? Ooh, that's a... Uh, I I almost wish these, these questions had been
1: reversed because like the end of 2022, um, is, take, is it, out obviously to 2025. Not take it out. Yeah. Take all it right. out to 2025. Well, 2025. A like by that point, it, it, it seems like it will become clear whether or not like they've, they've actually scaled in premium and all, all those things that we were talking about earlier. Um, I under the, the scenario where that, that does happen. Um, I think they would probably 10 X from here. I mean, and, and, still, that's only like, you know, 19 billion. So they're, they, they wouldn't even by 2025, I don't think, you know, be at the same valuation as a lot of the incumbents, um, to, to do that. I think they really need to scale customer base, like, like a lot. Um, mm. and, and I just don't see them, you know, getting, uh, I forget the exact number of customers they have right now. I, I wish I had that up, but, um, You know, to really kind of grow into like the let's say the hundred billion dollar valuation, I think that's going to take closer to a decade if they're successful and kind of you know growing, you know maybe thirty to to fifty percent per year, something like that, and having this kind of outstanding operating leverage. So, uh, but but I think by twenty twenty five, I think there's a reasonable chance that that yeah they they ten x so let's say you know three hundred dollars per share by the end of this year. I I, I don't know. I I I think they might start to turn the needle a little bit. I mean. I it's tough to say, though, a lot of it depends on, on what
0: financial results they they post. And and yeah. I think there is a high degree of uncertainty around that, honestly. Got it. OK, thank you for that answer. Um, when will Tesla reach level four autonomy? You buy Elon's claim of this year. I don't
1: um, okay. like I, I've tried to be an FSD real like I'm probably more optimistic than almost anybody on like the potential for robo taxis and, and them solving this problem. Um, but I also have probably been more vocal than most people on like the current FSD beta build, like fails very frequently. Um, yeah. you know, just this, just this week, it like, it, it doesn't handle snow at all, for example. So that's, that's not an insurmountable issue. Like you just need to slow down your acceleration and your deceleration when you're braking. but like they haven't programmed that into it yet. So like, that's another like massive thing that they need to solve before, you know, this would be possible. And then like, um, I guess to solve level four, you you probably don't need to solve reverse summon, but that's another very difficult challenge. I think that, um, we've yet to see any progress on. Um, so I think, I think it's going to get the, the analogy I, I, I like to think of is maybe like two years ago when they first introduced like the, um, like, like auto merge onto highways. Like that was scary. I, I watched a lot of those videos when that feature was first introduced, and it yeah. would like make these terrible mistakes at the worst possible moment, and the driver would have to like slam on the brakes, get into the shoulder, and then like get back behind a truck that it almost ran into. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like it was not good. Um, and that's that's kind of where I think we are in in like the city street driving right now. It like frequently makes like bad mistakes, but if you mm-hmm. look at how quickly. They went from that to like highway driving is a breeze now. And it's like the most relaxing thing ever. And it like hardly ever makes any mistakes whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think the, the pace of improvement is going to be a lot higher than, than, than people think. Um, that said, I, I still think it's probably going to be 2023 20, before we've got like actual confidence that it's like level four in, in, in a way that you could actually like take your, take your eyes off the road for a bit of time. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I I I agree with you. I think so I did I did a um I put up a video on my channel yesterday. I went around Austin, the city of Austin, and I recorded a full self-driving video with 10.10 and there were certain situations that it just could it just handled it so poorly, but I think I think what's interesting is the thing I'm trying to calibrate is knowing that humans are bad at understanding sort of exponential growth. Yeah. Um like by the end of this year, I I you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if there is like level 4 autonomy in in specific uh use cases or like in non in, in like good weather climates so maybe yeah. they'll just yeah. like geofence it to like or they just say hey if i detect snow no level 4 like you're driving right. but if i if i if it's sunny and it's fine the weather's good level 4 you're good i could see them doing that you know um mm-hmm. but yeah i i i think your approach is 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 the wisest of them all it's to sort of you know like definitely I think certain situations are going to be way more difficult to solve. Like the parking lot situation, I agree with you 100%. Like that is that's a freaking hard one. Like trying to how to navigate a parking lot with cars coming out and like you have to negotiate you're always negotiating and like yeah. 50% of the time someone's pissed off. You know what I'm saying? Like what <laughs> right. the hell? You know? So I'm curious to see how, how it's going to figure that out. Yeah, and
1: you don't have somebody that can like bail you out in the driver's seat if it gets Right. Like, if the computer gets overloaded. Um but like I I, I think we're still I I even hesitate to judge the current progress too much because we're not on single stack yet. And that's such a a foundational transformation that like, I almost don't care what it's doing right now. What I really care about a lot. And I I just can't wait to see is what does single stack look like when it comes out. And more importantly, what is the rate of improvement once, once single stack comes out? Because I, I think once like this V11, which is supposed to come out this month, according to Elon's tweet, um, like that's gonna be essentially the backbone that all these future iterations are are worked off of. And they've been yep. they've been working on this for so long. And it's such a a massive rewrite of everything. Um, that it's like, okay, 10.10 sounds like it's a, a step backwards for most people. It's it's obsolete already, honestly, because yep. like single stack's gonna come out and they're gonna like how quickly it improves from there once they've got this architecture that that is going to be the framework for everything FSD going forward even like up to Dojo when Dojo's yep. iterating on it Dojo's just going to be iterating on this framework that they've that they've built with single stack so that's so important in my, in my mind is is how quickly do they improve
0: once V11 comes got it yeah i'm i'm so freaking excited for that myself because that he's been hyping that up for so long you know that, <laughs> that been so delayed. single stack yeah yeah yeah, yeah. If it, if it comes and it's not super like game changing, I feel like it might be, it might be sort of fall flat. Sorry, you were going to, you were going to say something.
1: No, well, I was just going to say like, like you're switching between like the highway, like neural net system and and then like the the parking lot neural net system is obviously like a total disaster right now. And but like this one single stack will be able to handle the whole thing. um, And that's just, you know, incredibly exciting to see how it does. But yeah, I agree with you. Like I, Ask me that question again like a month after you know the 11s come out
0: and it, i think i would have a, a lot more confidence in my answer but the answer may change drastically depending on what that looks like got it as soon as it's out like the one the first fit what you have a you have a tesla and, and full self-driving right you, you've yeah been driving yeah okay. okay. yeah yeah i think you and i should both as soon as we get the update we'll both go out test it out come back and then we'll share ideas be like oh my god did it fall flat on his face or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah that'd be great
1: because I, it seems like mine falls flat in these this
0: area around me like way more <laughs> than is is common. So I, I try to be realistic about that. But yeah, I'd love to do that. Awesome, awesome. All right, fingers crossed. Hopefully, uh, Elon delivers here. Um, and then uh, a couple more here. When do you think the bot will the Tesla bot will launch?
1: Um, I, I'm probably Emmett is like super optimistic on this, and and I'm a little bit more tempered. I think in in my expectations that than he is. I think like first commercial delivery to an actual customer, I would probably guess 2025. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe, I I think they probably, you know, implement some early prototypes at their factories and, you know, work on that. But I think like the, one of the things I I wonder about is like, how are they going to handle like the the feedback, um, you know, iteration loop? Like with, with driving, it's pretty clear. Like the driver takes over and the car says, okay, like I did something wrong and you can get feedback. But like, how do you like if you want the the bot to like lift something up this high rather than you know this high? How do yeah. you provide that feedback and like how do you like do you have to like grab its hand and stop it? Like probably not, but to me, there's the the interface between the owner of the bot and the bot itself in terms of providing a, like a meaningful feedback loop that can help train it in these other real world applications other than driving. I don't know what that's going to look like, and I imagine that'll take a bit of time to solve. Even once the robot itself has you know, say is, is capable of walking and doing like very basic things. So that to me is, is maybe a a challenge that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think even just thinking about like how to teach the bot to even do the motion period, you know, like the only Mm. thing I, the only thing I can come up with is like, okay, like maybe you have like some sort of like, like glasses that have cameras and you have sensors, you know, maybe like a couple of wristbands or something that you wear That are somehow connected and then they you know the motions you do as a person get fed into the bot but then to your point like the once it's not doing it correctly like how how are they going to do it and and will they and i'm curious like will that spawn a brand new industry that we're not thinking about when it comes to like using almost like wearables right to like mm-hmm. teach the bot could that be its own industry in some way that's you know that could supplant I don't know like health tracking software or things that you wear on your body I don't know like it's super early in my in my thought process but i agree with you it looks yeah i don't know how they're gonna like, do it with,
1: with the with the variety of tests that it's th- going to need to learn like I, I don't know what that feedback loops looks like like imagine yeah. like you've got one in your house and you say hey i like my coffee a little bit stronger can you brew that Coffee stronger <laughs> next time. I I don't know what that feedback loop looks like. Like yeah. presumably there should be like some audio part of it. But then mm-hmm. um th- it seems like the the AI backbone on that, like it, obviously Tesla's focus on vision only for the driving. And it seems like the feedback loop from vision is going to be pretty straightforward. But there's this whole other, you know, if you're trying to replace workers, like audio, you know, input is is gonna be another huge layer that Tesla hasn't really tackled yet, that I think could take some time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, second to last question, when do you think Elon will stop working at Tesla? Um, it's, that's a that's another good question. I I I think I would say
1: later than 2025 but probably earlier than 2030. Um, you know, I I think Elon I mean it's, it's very clear that he wants to kind of focus on the Mars colony and that's going to be like the in the latter portion of his life i think he wants to really do everything he can to get that off the ground tesla mm-hmm. i think is um obviously he believes in the mission of tesla you know uh, accelerating the, the sustainable uh um future the transition to a sustainable um future i can't even remember tesla's <laughs> mission yeah, statement the, right the, now the accelerating but, uh,
0: the uh, world's transition to sustainable, sustainable transport and consumption of yeah something <laughs> yeah <laughs> i well mean, you yeah, know I, I should know, know this <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: But like, I, I think it, by the time they they solve autonomy, like Tesla would would just be so like drastically cash flow positive. Um, yeah. And and there's not going to be these kind of like, if, of course, there's a lot of products that that they'll need to work on, like home HVAC and like probably a VTOL jet. I could see like in twenty twenty seven, maybe they seriously like take that project up. But I, yeah. I think by that time, like the goal will be Tesla's producing so much cash flow that elon can use that uh his portion of that cash flow either through dividends or or maybe selling some of the stock to fund the mars colony and so I, mm-hmm. I think his attention is going to shift to that and i could see him you know leaving space maybe he stays on as chairman or something like or leaves tesla maybe he stays on as chairman but i don't think he wants to be the ceo even now <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you but there's not a clear person that can take the spot so i think he gets it to a point where it's like people can't screw this up anymore you get some competent kind of um manager who can you know make sure nothing breaks and and lead a couple of these new initiatives that we'll be working on but i think yeah. elon kind of rides off to mars uh latter
0: part of this decade yeah yeah I, I tend to agree with you i think i think the timeline might be longer maybe i, I see him maybe um stepping down after 2030 if i were okay. to guess uh, just sort of how i think about um I'm thinking about it but yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It's clear that SpaceX is his is his true passion. You know, colonizing Mars and going to Mars is his true his truest passion it seems. And I think yeah. um, devoting all his time to that will be will make sense for him. So do you think he gets another compensation package in the next, you know, year or two? Uh, man, right? I think I think it's 100% dependent on on Well, what's interesting is that it seemed like the the compensation package he got was, it happened soon after or right around the time that they completed the master plan. Right? I Mm -hmm. I think it was like the first master plan. And so the second master plan has cars in every, um, in every segment, robo taxi, solar and batteries. Um, So I think once those three things are either close to or at completion, that's when he'll get his next one. So I don't know if maybe it could be i mean they, they could very well introduce a car in every segment in the next couple of years or at or at least announce a car in every segment you know like a they're missing a van you know the twenty five thousand dollar car is going to get announced here any second i think and the, i think it'll get announced um um I, I still think it will get announced this year like they will show it this year I, i'm still no, confident even after elon's comments of like future yeah. products we're gonna he was soft
1: pedaling those for sure
0: that's yeah, I th- I think there is a I think there is a there is a variable of uh of um my god, why am I blanking on this word? Like like underpromising, right? Um, where he is sandbagging. Like he there, I think there's a lot more sandbagging to him uh than than it seems. And I think he's used this supply chain sort of uh craziness and the ridiculous demand that Tesla has right now. He's so confident in, he's so confident in the financials that I think he's leaning really heavily into the sandbag because there was a there was a trend that started happening right around the time that Tesla got profitable where he started became becoming much more measured outside of FSD. Like take FSD, you know, FSD he has been super, yeah. super bullish on for a while. But everything else about the business, like Model Y came early. Um, the amount of deliveries that they in Q4 completely blew everybody out of the water. You know, he set an expectation on Twitter that said, hey, we're not going to go that crazy, right? Uh, in Q4 yeah. and then boom. So yeah. I think he's using this time smartly to sort of, Um, bottle like uh, um, sandbag. And then as the year goes along, and I think once they have a more solid footing, I think the $25,000 car is going to get revealed. They might even potentially announce uh, Cybertruck production at some point uh, later this year, if I were to guess, but it just there's something fishy. There's I know how the company works. I know how fast they freaking are. It's just elon saying no we're not going to work on this this year just doesn't doesn't sound like tesla to me but i could be completely wrong i could be completely wrong please nobody listen to this please nobody <laughs> listen to this this is just yeah, my I, head
1: i, I yeah. agree with you on the sandbag like the sandbag model y the sandbag uh, like shanghai uh production yeah. everything like that um but i don't know like listening to the, the rationale of of like the the constraints with the existing products like um, I, I can see them maybe announcing something later this year, uh, yeah. but I, I wouldn't expect production in, even in 2023 of like the $25,000 version or something like that. Like to me, they, they need to have an oversupply, um, of the existing products, I think before they try to go down market, okay. um, you know, so to me, that just seems logical, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't They're know. building out capacity so strong and yeah, I, I could be surprised. But I think with it, with inflation, with all like the, the price increases we've seen, even still like the gross margins haven't been improving as much as you thought. So maybe the $25,000 car is like a 30 or 35,000 in the future. I think that
0: that may have changed. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I don't even know if the $25,000 cars I don't know if Elon's thinking about it as if uh, as a like, um, hey, let's let's make sure we we uh, get all the demand we can before we go down market. I really think the guiding principle is flood the market with EVs. Yeah, just oh, I don't sure. care when we yeah. do, like, flood it. Right. So um, if he's not working as quickly as possible to make that happen, it seems like he's going against his own sort of guiding principle. And I get that there's a ton of like of factors that are um, are impacting that decision today to say, hey, we're not going to focus on new products. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to be over optimistic sometimes. So this could be me totally being optimistic. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. Um, OK, and then so lastly, I just want to ask you this one last question. It's not really um, uh, pertinent to uh, the future. But um, what do you think is humanity's purpose? Oh, that—that's a—you went—you went philosophical on me. I went super <laughs> um, deep for the last one. I already melted your brain the last hour and a half. Now you got yeah. <laughs> uh, so,
1: I, I'll preface this by saying, like, um, I'm practicing Catholic, and so I've got that that kind of worldview, and I, I recognize people are going to to disagree with 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 me in this, but you know, I do, I do believe that we were kind of created in in the image and likeness of of God, and so you know, I think God created us. For, for relationship with him. And so I, I actually see a lot of kind of parallels with that in raising my own kids, where it's like, you know, I have this, this role of father with, with the kids and, you know, they, I had a hand in in creating them obviously along with, with, with my wife, but, you know, we have this relationship with each other that is, you know, more than, you know, just our, you know, value apart from each other. Um, and so I, I think, I, I do think, you know, there's maybe that, kind of traditional Catholic worldview of, you know, being created for, you know, to, to, you know, celebrate with, with God in heaven is, is really what I, what I do believe. And I don't talk about that a lot just because I know people have different views and and will disagree, but, um, I obviously respect everybody's view and that's just,
0: you know, what I actually do believe. That's great, man. No, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, and I think I, I, I'm not a religious person per se, but I, I totally respect that. I love the fact that, that that's the, your, your path and what you've chosen to be your, and what you see is, is the path for yourself. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think, I think the, I think growing acceptance around all, all of people's, um, what, what they think is, is humanity's purpose or their purpose is extremely important, regardless of the spectrum. And, I really, I'd really appreciate you being open about that. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing, especially if it's, if it's really bringing joy and, and you it's really making you, um, somebody that's, you know, if you're getting closer to God by doing that, like, why wouldn't you do that? It's a beautiful thing. You know, that's, that's awesome. And I really want to appreciate you being so open about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I tend to be a little bit too heady, I think sometimes, and I actually kind of came to this belief. Like through logic, more more than anything. Okay. So I think there's there's maybe this this perception out there that like you know religion and you know logic or you know like rationality are are at odds. But at least mm. in, in my case, it's like you know it seems more likely than not to me that like this is true. Um, mm. And so it, and if if that is true, then like there are, are implications about a, a host of other things. And so I I've kind mm-hmm. of loved the the logical rabbit hole of, of like some of the great thinkers and um you know christian history and everything so uh, I've, I've dug a lot into like apologetics and like atheists versus you know christian or catholic beliefs and and those are some just really interesting conversations um so I, i'd encourage anyone just to like find some really great you know resources on that because i think there's a lot of like poor debates out there on on things that aren't really thought through well but when when you can find mm-hmm. the people who who have thought about this in a great deal of, of detail, uh, those are
0: incredibly intellectually stimulating conversations. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed those. I agree. Yeah, I have I watched a, a couple of those that were very thought provoked, it really helped me understand where folks that um, believe in God or are religious or, or believe in a higher power, how they approach and it was very eye opening for me, because I, it helped me really understand um, where they're coming from. But also that, hey, there is a possibility that this could absolutely be true. And I think, and I think for me, it's like just understanding where people approach, you know, where people come from and how they approach the the question of religion and the God is, is so fascinating. And ultimately, I think it's part of the beauty of the human condition is to like try to figure out, like, like try to understand how other people think about this, try to figure out for yourself, but also just talk about it, like sit down and talk about it yeah. and have a beautiful experience. You know, I think, I think that's one of the coolest things about being a human.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was it was actually yeah. kind of funny listening to Elon on that Babylon B interview cuz they you know, kind of ventured into that territory and it was like yeah. like they they were actually trying to prompt some questions that I think were pretty deep that, you know, Elon normally has like thought about things in incredible detail and in this case like some of the objections he raised I was like, "Okay, those are like 101 level like um yeah. like very basic yeah, criticisms." like, "I wonder like if somebody actually pushed him on this like with some of like the the rational responses to to this like what, how he would respond. So I, yeah. I would be curious to see
0: sometime, but yeah, maybe we'll um, get you to interview him one day. And then maybe you can press <laughs> him on that. <laughs> that I, I awesome. think,
1: uh, I don't know. Pro- probably not going to happen. He's, he still hasn't done the interview with, uh, with Dave and Robbie. I so know. I'm looking out for that.
0: My God, he's he's really like going slow on that. Matt, thank you <laughs> so much, man. I I it was uh almost two hours, man. And this this was a breeze. I, I find it so easy talking with you. You're welcome anytime back, man. I would love to keep talking with you. Um, I think I think the cool thing about the 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 really the full self-driving thing that's coming out soon with the single stack, I would really love to compare notes. Uh, once that happens because i'm really curious how that goes but with anything else if you ever want to come back on i would love to have you on to sort of keep talking about some of these things but i really 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 enjoyed this conversation man thank you so much yeah i did as well we'll have to do it again so thanks farzad it was a great time absolutely thank you everybody oh did you want to give uh folks sort of uh, where they can find you either on social media or on the youtube channel yeah uh so you can find us on youtube on uh
1: good soil investment uh, we have a uh, weekly live stream Emmett and I do there Tuesdays at 1230 Eastern uh, so you can check us out there um, my Twitter handle is like a mess I, if I ever knew that I would be a public figure I would have a better Twitter handle so you, you can just look me up Matt Smith you might be able to find me
0: that way but uh, yeah otherwise just just thanks for having me on Of course. It's so funny you say that because I asked Emmett. is like, hey, how can I reach out uh, to Matt? He's like, here's his uh, Twitter handle. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. But uh, awesome, man. Thank you again. Uh, Thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks.